You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Inside the Musicians Guild. I thank you for being here and I thank you for listening. This week, we're going to skip my normal monologue style intro and uh, I'm going to get straight to kind of leading us into the conversation with this week's guest. And like many of these conversations that we have at the Musicians Guild, this is someone I go pretty far back with, uh, over 20 years now. He goes by the name of Brian Diaz. Uh, Brian is a musician that played in bands such as Edna's Goldfish, The Reunion Show, and currently plays in a band called Knives. But Brian's main gig now is as a tech, a bass tech, guitar tech, and many other jobs in between as he is at this point someone with pretty comprehensive and extensive knowledge of live show productions and what it takes to get stuff done. But aside from his skill set, Brian is just a really good hang. He's the type of person where whenever I see him, as soon as we get into conversation, I'm laughing a lot. Uh, You know, he has a really fresh, creative, and witty perspective on the world. And it becomes pretty evident in how he communicates. And with the amount of experience he has and the vast number of people he knows and he's connected to, uh, he kind of already is. But later on, he's just going to become an epic older guy who just has the most amazing stories stacked on top of each other to tell. Like he could just sit and do like Henry Rollins style uh, story sessions, and it would be totally interesting and engaging. And I've said this to him directly via text and conversation. I'll say it again now, which is he's somebody that I really hope starts a podcast. Uh, he not only has one of my favorite singing voices, but his speaking voice is also pretty great to me. It's one of those ones that you kind of develop living hard and living deep, you know? And the human powering that voice is just a really smart, sweet, and lovely person. So, uh, Brian works and has worked for bands such as Fall Out Boy, Guns N' Roses, Bush, Garbage, Primus, Bayside, Motion City Soundtrack, and a bunch of others, but that's just you know, to name a few to give you the kind of spectrum and give you an idea of how many people he's connected to and, like I was saying, how many stories he has. So, this conversation is sort of a longer one just because we get into so much, but it's also a very well-rounded conversation. We do our fair share of reminiscing We get into a decent amount of gear talk. And as usual, he makes me laugh a bunch. So I think that's enough of me and talking about what you're about to listen to as if you wouldn't find out on your own anyway. 
Uh, so here's my conversation with Brian Diaz. <laughs> taking the time to do this man hell yeah man this is um it's been really cool i've been you know i do that i'm gonna do that thing where i'm like oh man i'm, I'm a i'm a huge fan of your podcast i've been listening to it but like i i de- you know i definitely had to i was like i gotta get the vibe of this thing you know i gotta i gotta figure out you know how this flows you know this is um and it, and for for a guy for us like i've known you know i've known you for quite a while so it'll it, it'll be a little easier to have a conversation but some people you do their you do their thing and you're just like it's like so how did you get started and like you just barely know <laughs> any you barely like, like know anything about each other you know but with people you yeah know, like guys like you it's it's a, definitely an easier conversation <laughs> no you definitely nailed it and that's why i'm trying to mainly stick to people i know and have a lot to discuss with because i'm not right. trying to be some barbara walters or something i'm not good at that like i i, mm-hmm. I have no skills as an interviewer so <laughs> yeah i'm not trying to fuck no, with no you that. got skills man don't don't downplay yourself oh, how long, i mean I you, think, think about how how long you've been doing this like you have a you have a good you have a good chunk of variety of people coming on the show and you get in deep with them you know i like that Thank you. It's just a way for me to indulge my annoyingly curious personality that I get into the minutia (laughs) that oftentimes other people are like, why the fuck would you even want to know that? Like, I'm not bothered that you asked that, but why are you even interested? (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, that's just the kind of motherfucker I am. you know. (laughs) I hear you, man. uh, And And that's the kind of thing I like to listen to. So. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Well, thank you. And that's why I think that your episode that we're currently making as we speak is going to be is going to be super sick. So uh, that's us talking about what we're doing in the third person. Like to touch. It makes for great podcasting <laughs> already. But, uh, you know, you were on my first proper tour of my whole life. My first U.S. tour, really? yeah, was that tour with Edna's Goldfish and the Stereo, and it's cool because on your episode of In the Defense of Ska, I was listening to you, you know, mention you guys were obviously talking a lot about Edna's Goldfish, right? But then you were talking about being on tour with Animal Chin, oh and, yeah, and you know. And it was Animal Chin and Siren Six, so you guys basically yeah. went on like a Minneapolis band tour, right? Yeah, we were trying. We were like on this. Yeah, yeah. We we kind of hopped in with them just because we were big fans of you know of those two bands, and they had. I guess they had played on Long Island or in New York somewhere, and we saw them. And we we're like, dude, we have to figure out a way to yeah to jump on some shows with them. Maybe we'll trade. You know, back in the day, you'd do the the show trade. It's like, all yeah. right, you no, know, we'll we'll book the East coast. You guys book the Midwest and then anywhere else where we're not from, we'll just, uh, kind of figure it out. We'll <laughs> see what happens, yeah. you know? Yeah. It's such a, it was such a fun way of touring. And I feel like, have you, have you listened to animal chin recently? When was the last time you listened to animal chin? Um, actually, you know, 
not that long ago, only because it came up with, um, you know, I worked for fallout boy and Pat and yeah. Patrick, the singer, Patrick stump, he's a big animal chin fan. And it wasn't oh. that, it wasn't that long ago that we were in, um, we were doing a live stream thing. We did something for the inauguration and, um, we're in this, like we're in this little studio room, whatever. And he's Patrick's very like, he's constantly like warming up and singing and, you know, noodling around on his guitar. And he always plays animal chin songs. So oh, that's cool. I was in the room, you know, just to kind of, I was just kind of waiting for the rest of the band to come back in. It was like kind of like on a little break and Patrick's just, you know, he's just kind of pacing around just like noodling. And, um, yeah, he started playing bleed by animal chin and I just jumped yeah. in. I like, I like grabbed Pete's bass and I just started like playing along with him. And like <laughs> he's a, yeah, he's, it's funny. Like that, that wasn't that long. I mean, it was a few months ago and that, that made me listen to like the later animal chin record where they were starting to become the stereo, you know, that like yeah. weird transition of they were, they just dropped all the ska punk right out of the, you know, out of the mix, yeah. which is, it was a good natural progression. It felt right. You know, when I first heard it, I was like, oh, this, this feels right. You know? Yeah. That song, uh, all the chips are down mm -hmm. or whatever. That was off of that EP, right? That yes. blue. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, a, and that's a song that we, when Edna's goldfish played with them, on Long Island, they played that song. It was probably the first tour they were really playing it. And we were like, and we had heard it. We had, I guess we had heard him play it before, but we were like, um, we subconsciously like just borrowed that riff. Like the opening riff was like part of one of our songs. And we were like, I guess we're playing it tonight. It's in our set list. I'm like, we didn't have that much material to like pad out an hour long set. We're like headlining. So we're like, well, we got to play this new song that we have. And like we play it afterwards. Jamie's like, you know, that's one of our songs, right? Like, it's just like, <laughs> he's like, you, I mean, come on. We never recorded and I it. it. And you know, I, there's, I have like one live recording of it and I, I'm just like blown away about how blatantly we were just, I guess we were just around him a bunch and heard their demos, whatever. And then just one day we was like, Hey, I got this, and, you know, Vinny's in the studio. He's like, I got this new riff and like playing it. Now looking back, <laughs> I'm like, Jesus Christ, you just like stole a song. <laughs> Well, I got to give some props to Jamie Wolford because back then, you know, we were all kind of mm -hmm. getting, finding our way writing songs, but he always had such skills with chord progressions and melodies. And when I listen back to Animal Chin stuff now, I'm like, yeah, he was, he was on another level back then. You know what I mean? Yeah, man. I, and that's what, that's where you kind of like, I guess beyond, you know, the Animal Chin thing, we, we, we just maintained a friendship and maintained are, you know, that thing, cause we're like, dude, this guy is, you know, he's working on a, di he's working on a different level than the rest of us. Like we need to catch up, you know? Yeah, totally. Um, but I was thinking also like, I think animal chin could be popular now with their particular style of skate punk and the fast. Yeah. Stop. Yeah. I, I think. And like that, that sort of thing. It's so, it's so funny. Like a lot of these, you know, between the in defense and indefensive ska podcast, whatever. And like just the different things that I've done, like, Man, people are like kind of the ska punk is like kind of creeped back into the discussion a little bit where people yeah. like they're not as flippant about like, oh, yeah, I used to play in a ska band or I used to, you know, I, right. that's some shit I used to listen to. Now people are kind of they wear it on their sleeve a little more like it's it's kind of cool. So maybe maybe that could make a comeback because yeah. it's, it's a good and it's a good bridge. It's not like right into I mean, I don't particularly 
listen to that style of ska right. or just Jamaican, you know, like I'll listen to like Jamaican music, but totally. And that was, that's always been my thing, but I was also, I don't know. I, I, we, we could do this Southern California, you know, real big fish <laughs> style, like, you know, suburban kids doing a thing, whatever totally. it was. I mean, I'll do whatever. Like, I'm just, that's just me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. I, I'm like that. I listen to, I, bands like Animal Chin and Suicide Machines, I always viewed them as just straight up punk bands yeah, yeah, that totally. happen to have elements of ska. Totally. So, yeah. Um, but you're right. People are less ashamed. They're, they're, and wearing they're embracing it, on their it. Yeah, they're embracing yeah. it a little bit. It's not like... It only it only took fucking 20 years. <laughs> God, <laughs> if we would have started now, like, like, man, start this thing over, like, at, you know, let me be 21 again and just doing that again and and like knowing what i know now it's always, it's always that thing you know you're always gonna look back and go man if i knew then what i knew now i would have signed that deal or done you know whatever but in the end i also made a still made a living out of doing this so it wasn't like it wasn't it wasn't like we we did a thing and now we're both like a couple of bankers talking to each other about remember back in the day when we used to do that thing like <laughs> we're actually like actively still doing this thing you know yeah i feel so lucky because of that and um yeah i mean I, this we all we got off on this tangent because i was just mentioning how you were on my first tour ever okay yeah 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 right <laughs> how i've how i've known you now for 22 years and it was really special to me to get to tour with Edna's Goldfish and be around all you guys when I was still just like this wide-eyed suburban kid who Sloker can happen to take with them because they were nice enough and they had enough love for me. And it was awesome. I still remember so vividly doing things like, uh, I think you guys called it Superfest on Long Island. Oh, uh, yeah, we time. did. Yeah, that was a, that yeah. was Gary's thing. But yeah, yeah that was... Yeah. Uh, uh, we were all around for like basketball court scenes while you were shooting the <laughs> Veronica Sawyer video. Yeah, a couple of uh, dudes from Slow Gherkin were actually. At, were you in the video at all or no? You, I was you, shot you probably like doing shots. Some, yeah, yeah, like some skateboarding tricks because I oh, brought my skateboard on tour. Yeah, stuff, I remember but. you and Ollie were. Uh, yeah, were were like in the maybe in the, like the opening scene, like skating in the opening scene. I haven't. I, it's funny. I, yeah. like I haven't watched that video in forever, but. Wow. Yeah, that's right. It was like you guys, uh, everybody who was just on that tour, just in the, it was like, Hey, you guys just want to be in a video that we just happen to be shooting at this show, you know? Do So like when you're working with bands and stuff, do you ever kind of just fuck around walking around like singing? Do people know how angelic your voice is? Um, a few, a few of the bands have found out. <laughs> they mostly find I, out from like wandering in while we're, you know, while we're setting up, you know, cause during the day I've, I've got a bunch of work to do, but at some point, depending on what the, you know, which bands are, which, you know, I have, we have to do a line check for them or just full on sound check for them. Some bands just don't show up at all. You know, they just yeah. rely a hundred percent on their crew, which of is, course. which is fine. I, I, I like it somewhere in between. I don't want a, I don't want artists coming up there and playing like doing a three hour rehearsal. Cause that's kind of like, that's a little bit of bullshit. Like you're going to play like yeah. two hours tonight. You don't need to do three hours. On, and there's a, there's some, some big ones that I'm like, really, you guys don't know, you know, that song yeah. already. Like you've done it a million times, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, 
And then there's the other ones that are just like, you know, full autopilot. So like they'll, you know, once in a while someone will wander in and be like, you know, they'll hear me singing one of their songs or doing a cover or like whatever, you know, just whatever our crew band is capable of doing. And some have been more capable than others, you know, some, you know, and you know, you know, you know, the deal, like a lot of texts, they don't, some of them are musicians that went on to do what I do. And just, that's how we made money. And other people like, you know, there's some drum techs that couldn't play a, a couldn't hold a single beat, but they yeah. know how to put together a drum kit. So like, yeah, they get hired for these huge gigs. So like, sometimes it's like, ah, I got a drum tech who can't fucking play. And, um, I'm trying, you know, I was like, ah, just play the simplest shit ever, you know? But, um, anyway, like, yeah, sometimes like the artists will come in and see me. Um, yeah. they'll hear me, hear me, you know, rehearsing or whatever. And then just like, dude, I didn't know you could sing or like the rest of the crew is like, I didn't know you could play and sing like, yeah. And then you, then you have to walk down that path of, so where did that come from? I'm like, well, it was in this band and then it's, you know. And then, yeah. then the rest well, of the story. For the sake of being sincere and also for my own amusement, making possibly making you feel slightly uncomfortable, <laughs> I'm going to say that your voice is one of my favorite singing voices still oh, thanks, to this man. day. That's, I mean, no joke. So, I mean, maybe, yeah, thank you. I don't know how to take a compliment still. 44 years old. Yes. I, still I still haven't figured it out. <laughs> like yes. people say stuff so and I, I have to deflect it into like uh Totally. But, you know, not self-deprecating, but like more like, thanks. But uh, actually this other guy or, this, you know, like he's like someone yep. else is better than what I'm doing. You know, you know that. Too. Totally. Uh, I know it all too well being Korean American, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all about that, you know. Um, <laughs> and then the last time I got to see you on stage was when Reunion Show toured with RX Okay. And the last show we played together was at Kilby Court in Salt Lake City. And they wow. made a fridge magnet of that show poster. And Matt Embry's mom had that fridge magnet on her fridge. I don't know <laughs> if it's still there today, but she had it on there for over a decade. That is really crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Man, Kilby Court. Talk about like, was that a, like, could be that, <laughs> was that even considered a safe, like, like, could you, like that place was so like rickety. Yeah. It was rickety. It, it, it was it's insane. not still around, right? There's no way. I, honestly, I have no clue. So if anybody's listening from Salt Lake City, <laughs> like Ford. I've, people are very quick to correct us Yo, because was like that we've the talked place, about venues and stuff. So was that the place that had a it had a thing when you walked in or somewhere near the stage? Maybe I mean the stage was right when you walked kind of in, and it was to the I remember kind of to the left. There was something that said, like, there was like a sign that said no cover songs or something like that. Like, you weren't yeah. allowed to play covers there. And it was yeah. so strange. I was like, well, we're not going to cover anything, but what if we wanted to? Like, why is that even a thing? I, like, never understood it. I guess there was a, like a licensing thing, but it's like, or some, like how could you even prove it? Yeah. Like, <laughs> that's really weird. What is yeah. that's like? I mean, I've seen some strange signs on, you know, you just, every venue has its own weird quirks and rules and whatever. Yeah. And that was definitely one of the, definitely one of the stranger ones. There was one that was like no meat eating inside or something like that. That wasn't like Grand you know, Rapids or, Oh God, whatever. Kilby court was so bizarre because it was, I don't know if these venues still exist, but this is right. the time where these venues, 
that are barely passable as venues, <laughs> many of them were mainstays on the national touring circuit, meaning a band that could play up to a thousand cap venue in New York City or Chicago or A markets would still go to this tiny shed totally. in the industrial section I mean, of Salt Lake City. Yeah. Complete literally. with like walls of corrugated metal. Yeah. I'm, I'm not even kidding you. I'm, yeah. I'm listen, I've been around the world at this point and I've seen you know, you see like entire, like in India, like entire villages of corrugated metal shacks. And this was, li- that's literally what this was in America, in Salt Lake City, in some, yes. in some side road, like not off like a main street. I remember just being like driving through a neighborhood and then all of a sudden there's like this shed and that's where we played. And like, that literally. wasn't the only time I played, like that was, you're right. Like that would end up, you'd get your tour dates and it'd be like. Oh, we're playing like bottom of the hill, playing at uh chain reaction. And then a couple days later, you make that drive to Utah. You know, there's always that like gap between like San Diego and then like, I don't know, maybe you pick up a show in Albuquerque or whatever. And then like, yeah, exactly. then you go to, you know, then you're going up to Utah and then back down to Arizona. Like those routings are always, no matter what band, you, how big you are, those cities remain this, that's that same routing is the same always. You know, is it like the gnarly drive between Houston and Florida, unless you stop in New Orleans, which we did, which we did uh, in. I think we actually played there, though, on that tour with Slow We did. We played. Yeah, we played the old New Orleans State Theater, I believe it was called. Um, oh, okay. Where it was that load up that giant staircase? Yeah, the I wasn't. Was I wasn't. Upstairs. Couldn't remember what venue it was, and I couldn't find. I was like, someone was asking something about how the last time I was in new Orleans, like play, like played a show in a band. And that might've been the last time I was in a band that played a show in new Orleans. I mean, I've, wow. I've been through there with working for bands, but playing yeah. there like 99 was probably the last time. And I couldn't remember if it was like Tipitina's or the old house of blues, what, which I actually think was the state theater. I think that became the house of blues there or something like that. Or maybe I'm huh, just I wrong. wonder. I remember that one being somewhere further down Water Street, I think, okay. maybe there, um, because I remember being like, this is not the stuff I see in postcards. <laughs> I don't see any beignets I mean, you around can, here. You can, get, you can get right off the postcard pretty quick in New Orleans. It's like Very quick. I mean, I, I love it, but man, that is a dicey city. It, like, it, it gets It gets dicey very quickly, like wrong i mean you're on bourbon street you make one wrong turn and like just a block away you're like ooh, i definitely should not be here like just and like i'm now i'm like whatever i don't i don't care but back in the day the first time seeing that i'm like whoa this is i guess new orleans isn't all just like balconies and people throwing beads and shit <laughs> you know totally but you know admittedly it's so much i guess less dangerous now than it was oh in yeah yeah 2000 you know so that's a, um, I feel like that's a thing like all across America, like most cities. I mean, it's a, obviously part of it is like gentrification and whatever, but yeah. I, I do feel like there was a, a seedier element to touring in the nineties and totally. early two thousands. And just like in, even in cities, you wouldn't, you know, I don't know, like, like even the going to the, going to the Bay area and some of those places was like, was kind of gnarly. Chicago was gnarly. Like so a lot of like some of those places. And now you go back and you're like, oh, there's just condos and whatever here. You yeah. know, I was talking about that very thing with Brendan from Lawrence Arms when he was on the show and talking about, you know, we all like to 
uh, reminisce and have a lot of fond memories mm-hmm. about Fireside Bowl. But if any, like us, if you've seen that place in the early oh, 2000s dude, I, or prior, I it was lived there. So scary I lived right there. near there in 2003. I moved oh, that's from. Right. You did. Well, in this 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 is a a connection between us. Is that I lived not far from there with with Julia. Julia, yeah. Which is I met her because of you guys, or was it? The other yeah. way around. No, I met her because of you guys. We were on tour. Yeah, that's right. We stayed at the house in Santa Cruz. You were living in like yep. a garage or something or like a, a detached right. room or something. That's and right. And she yeah. was uh, she was living there as well. And we were just like up all night, just probably getting super baked. But like. no, yeah, that was the house. I mean, every band would come and stay there. It was totally. you guys, Siren 6, everybody, ME 330. And you we know, didn't. So. Did we actually play in Santa Cruz or we just went there because it was like, this is where we're going to stay. I don't think we actually played in Santa Cruz. I think that time you guys had played San Jose. Okay. Because I think it was like you were talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Or it might've even been that link 80 tour you were mentioning on the ska podcast where the Bucko nine dude got super sick and then they had to cancel. Yeah. Yeah. No, you know what though? That would have been, Cause at that point, Julia would have been, cause Julia ended up touring with us. Like she came out That's right. selling merch for us for a few tours. She just kind of was like, all right, I guess I'll just come on tour. Like we just became friends like right away. I mean, I've to, to date still talked to her, you know? I mean, I lived, yeah. we, we were roommates for a couple of years and um, then she, I lived downstairs. She bought a house in Chicago and I lived in the downstairs apartment. So, I mean, oh, yeah. I, my entire, basically my entire span of time in Chicago, 2003 to 2009 or 2010, I mean, I was somehow, I saw her constantly. I was, we were either living together, living in the same building or whatever. So yeah, it all comes that. from that. that and that, that stems from that tour and knowing you and, you know, knowing people who lived in Santa Cruz and Slow Gherkin crew. That's super rad. Yeah. She moved, I think. Um, did she go on tour with you guys and then settle down in Chicago? Is that the order? Yeah, I think that, that was the order because it was sort of like right after we split and then she, she moved there like 2001 or something like that. That makes sense. I remember. Yeah. But man, 2000, 2003 living near the fireside, like a few blocks away. I actually ended up at some point moving even closer. Like I was like within like a block or two in 2004 or five. And it was still, man, it was still again, just dicey. But like, I was, you know, we'd go to shows there. We'd go like, sometimes you just go to the bar there. Cause it was on non show nights. It was just the bar and this dude hammer. That was the bartender. Everyone, he was just like a local character, you know? And, um, I haven't been in that area in quite a while, but the last time I was around there, I was like, wow, there's a lot of like restaurants with, um, names like, you know, the cheese and wheel and, you know, shit like that. And it's like a lot of, a lot of reclaimed wood. It's like, what is this dude? Like this is in Chicago. Is that considered, is that boys town? Is that what part of that area is? is, No, that's, um, I guess like Logan square. You you could say it's like Logan square is, is the, that area. For sure. Chicago is so vast. I, I often say it's the only other true metropolis, in my opinion, other than New York. Dude, it's the only it to me. Yeah. To, uh, that's how I, I mean, outside of, you know, pl- places that are international, like obviously like a, like yeah. a London or something like that. But 
Right. Or like, to- you know, Tokyo or something. But like in America, there really is the only comparable two real cities you can really compare that have the same sort of yeah. design, not design, but I don't know. I don't, I don't know what it is about it, but it's definitely, it's that, yeah, you're right. It's the only other like large metropolis. Like I live here, I live in Los Angeles now and this is like a, it's like a giant suburb to me. A lot of it. Like you just, you know, it is. I walk outside, totally. there's houses and trees and yeah. I didn't, I didn't live near no trees for you <laughs> when I was living in New York, no trees near me. People's driveways and cars, they hear dogs barking. It's like, yeah, LA is a uh, true urban sprawl everywhere. Yeah, yeah, man. Text, it's real. Textbook. textbook. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Um, and in Long Island, you came from Deer Park, was Deer it? Deer Park, yeah. It's a good memory, man. Well, I remember staying at your folks' house on that tour. I, we went to Deer Park. That's, that is yeah. true. Actually, yeah. I sort of forgot about that. Yeah, that's... That is something that happened. <laughs> Every time I'm on tour and I see that shitty ass deer park water, I think of you though. And I go, <laughs> Oh Brian good. Diaz. What a what a, what a <laughs> total like what a great association. Just well, not because of the water. No, no. You're no, of much the... higher quality than the water. But <laughs> oh, thank you. I'm like, uh, do they mean like to claim Deer Park, Long Island? Like this is some idyllic yeah, <laughs> uh, suburb or something? I'm like, what is this? This is weird. It was the most I mean, it is the most generic Long Island strip mall. Sub- I mean, Long Island is just strip mall suburbs, you know, I com- comparable to like an orange County or whatever, you know, that same, yeah, that same vibe and very homogenous for the most part, you know, you know, the deal. Totally. Yeah. Do you still go back there for holidays? Nope. And stuff my family like has <laughs> been out of Long Island since, well, my parents moved in like 2006 or seven. Oh, okay. uh, they live in Florida. And then my sister a few years later followed them down there. So she's down oh, there. The she's down there Florida with them. Accents. And like, yeah, I mean, they're old, they're old Puerto Rican Dominicans, like living in Florida, you know, that's like, they're like, duh, Legit. of course they are. You know, <laughs> like everyone like, who lives, everyone who lives in their like community, it's not like, uh, it's like a, not a, I mean, it's a lot of older retired folks there. It's not a retirement community, but just like, it's on like by a golf course, you know, and it's like everyone there is Puerto Rican from New York or Cuban or, you know, like it's a very, I go down there and like English may not be the first language, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Is, but, are they near Miami, like in Deerfield Beach? No, or no, something? they're in, they're in West Palm or like near West Palm, oh, like okay, a little, cool. little inland, not, not right on the beach, but you know, I go down there yeah. when I can. I mean, I haven't been since, you know, since all this shit started going down, but you know, I can go now. They're, they're both vaccinated and whatever. And I am. So at this point I can finally see my parents. I haven't seen them in almost, you know, it's going on two years now. So, yeah, it's a trip. And, and yeah. it's and like, you know, tour was always a time when like, you know, when you go to Florida, I would see my parents and then, you know, there hasn't been any tour. So, yep. Yeah. I get my second dose May 11th. Right on. So, yeah, I'm stoked. Um, I was wondering, uh, we kind of got off the subject of yeah. like venues and stuff, which is good. We Getting off subject is good. Okay. But uh, oftentimes I just like to go back because I was curious about things. Like when we're talking about places like Kilby Court and you have like this serious wealth of memories of doing Edna's Goldfish, doing the reunion show. 
Um, are there times where you're literally at your tech station, not even backstage now, because you're at the point of like you're underneath a stage set, oh, yeah. you know, or somewhere, <laughs> and you kind of just like look around, just going like, and you think about those memories of touring. And you're like, wow, what a trip! Like to see where I've ended up Dude, and stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. Like when I'm, man, when I'm when I'm doing, yeah, when I'm when I'm just kind of like. Sometimes I'm in venues I've been at before and sometimes, you know, I'm in a soccer stadium in, in Europe somewhere, you know, where it's 60,000 people. And like, I don't think about it in the moment, but then like, I'm just like, God, how did I end up here from, you know, some kid who just liked music, you know, grew up around music on Long Island to like being in a band and just kind of trying to do it. I'm doing this, doing it real punk rock and then ending up on a, ending up on a crew that's probably bigger than some of the shows I've ever played. You know what I mean? Where you're like, <laughs> I'm out there, I'm out there in a stadium with like a, like guns and roses, like one of the bands I, I've worked for. And I'm like, I take a moment and I look out, I go, when I was 12 years old, I had this tape of this band that I'm working for now. These people that now I know we're on a first name basis and the amount of crew members on here are there's more people working for this band than probably half the shows on some of the tours I played, you know, <laughs> uh, attendees, you know what I mean? Like, Oh, if there's a hundred people working for this band right now and we totally. play for 75 people average on some shitty tour, like, I don't know. I think about that stuff and I'm like, I definitely can pinpoint moments of where things shifted or changed for me where like, all right, it went from, you know, being a, being a musician in a band that was trying to like do the a punk rock thing to try to take it more seriously to then becoming a, a tech who was kind of like, uh, you know, my first tech job, I was like, man, I'm, I'm not doing this forever. I'm doing this temporarily. That was like my mindset just cause I wanted to get back to playing music. And then I started getting paid. <laughs> then I was like, Oh, this is okay. I could do this and do music at the same time and maybe not have either one be my full-time thing. And then they have the other shift where, you know, what I'm doing now is my full-time, my full-time job. Yeah. The other shift when you got put on retainer and you're like, boom. And then, yeah. I'm like, now I'm getting paid to not even do anything. I like, I love this. <laughs> yeah. Just sit yeah. at home. Um, do you feel like you are an extremely detail oriented person and kind of getting to tech and handle stuff? I really enjoy yeah. seeing your stories of doing all the tech work on different guitars and sure. bases and stuff. Yeah. Um, I'm actually like, I'm, <laughs> this is so stupid, but I'm actually right now, like I have this like weird, not anxiety. That's not the right word, but I'm definitely like, I look over to my left over here and my whole guitar work world is over here. And I have a, I have a, a base that's wide open with fucking wires sticking out of it and stuff. And, um, and you know, I was, I was working on that right before, you know, we, you know, I, I called you here and, uh, <clears throat> I was like, man, this is going to, I'm going to keep looking over at it because I, I like, I'm, I'm that kind of person. Like when I start a task, it's part of being like detail oriented, but like starting a task, I cannot, I can't rest until it's completed. Yeah. And I was doing this last night you know, I, I worked, I worked on a few guitars. It's actually for, um, some basses from Aaron from sugar cult. Do you know, do you remember that? Oh, you, wow. Yeah. Do you know, do you know totally. Aaron at all personally? Uh, I do. I mean, we were acquaintances. I can't yeah, say yeah. we're buds. I, I, I 
I remember him. I don't know if he would remember me, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, it's funny. Like I, I hadn't talked to him in a while and he, um, he hit me up about, you know, he has, he has his old bases, like the ones he played in sugar cult, whatever. And he has, you know, he has a studio now where he is, um, he has a bunch of old gear and he was just asking me if I can help him fix it. So he dropped off some of his bases here. And last night I finished one and I had this other one where I was like, I really want to get this done. And, um, I was already settled down. I was like watching TV and then I was like, you know, what? I'll go back there and start working on it. And here I am at midnight installing pickups. I'm like, what am I doing? Stop it right now. Like I got to go to bed. I got to like, rest but like sometimes when i am in the middle of a job it's like i can't i can't rest i can't you know that's just my mind that's just like how i operate whether it's yeah doing that or you know if i'm writing a song or like putting down ideas i cannot rest until i have it the way i want it until like it, the guitar is complete or if my little idea is complete or if i'm like working on a photo project or video project whatever i cannot stop i can't Cause it's hard for me to, to get the, the train rolling again once it's, um, you yeah. know, I don't know. I don't that's know if legit. that's some, some people can, some people can do their thing, pause, come back to it. But like for me, I got to sit in this chair and just like focus until it's done. Yeah. And that's the way I'm, I do my tech work too. It's like turn on some music, turn on a podcast, whatever, and just do everything I have to do on one project and then move to the next thing. Cool. But yeah. Yeah, I thought I recognized. I think it was a P bass, that white P bass that he played in Sugar Cult, right? Yeah, yeah. He's the two, he has two of them that uh, they were they were in pretty they were in pretty gnarly shape. I was like, I was like, yeah, you haven't had anybody look at this probably since you were in Sugar Cult. That had to have been like ten years ago, you know? They're just oh, have they just been sitting in cases? I mean, the cases are gnarly. I'm I'm gonna power wash <laughs> the cases too, dude. These things are gross. He brought this shit over and he's like, yeah, they kind of just been hanging out. I haven't really used them. He's like, you know, and you take the, you, I'm like, let me take a look at it. And I pull one out of the case and I can feel the neck is just bowed. I'm like, look down and it looks like a swimming pool. I'm like, this thing is, I'm like, this thing is harsh right now. How are you even playing? He's like, oh, I don't play it. It's just, I need it brought back to life. And that's what I've been doing little by little. Getting it going. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's rad. Um so among other bands you work for Fallout Boy. Um mm-hmm. what are some other bands that you were or are working for recently? Um, um and what are the jobs you do for them? Because you you kind of you, you're a busy guy. Yeah, you know, for Well, Fallout Boy's been my main obviously my main thing for I'm say obviously, but not obvious to anybody listening. They don't know me. Um, <laughs> they know now. They know now. Hold on one second. This just can you? Um, there's something that's bouncing up and down in my dock, and I don't know what it is, and it's driving me fucking nuts. All right. <laughs> Goddamn technology, man. How do I get this back to where it was? Oh, I'm gonna fight this thing. <laughs> oh man, what happened? Where'd you go? I don't see you, Steve Choi. Why are you always Steve I'm, Choi? You're never just Steve. I don't t- know. I've, I'm always <laughs> Choi or Steve Choi. Yeah. Where did the... I see the screen, but I don't see you anymore. Oh, this makes me sad. <laughs> oh, why did I fucking touch 
anything. Oh, did you minimize the zoom? Yeah, I, min- I minimize this. You can probably cut all of this out of this conversation because this is nonsensical. No, this is chill. This is no, chill. You, no one wants it. No one wants the 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 BTS on this. You know. There we go. Yeah, but at the same time, you know, this kind of stuff. Um, there we go. Is endearing. You know, it makes people feel like they're included with oh, us man. right now. This is like. <laughs> Fucking like almost a boomer trying to figure out technology. You know? <laughs> it's so funny when and I'm like, and I just just looked down at my pedal boards underneath me, and I have I just made this patch. I was making these like doom metal fucking loops, and I like my bass tone. I named it OK Doomer because <laughs> I was <just> like <laughs> making That's these cool. dumbass like super fuzzed out patches. Anyway, if you um, made a pedal called OK Doomer, it would it that, would sell. Oh, I'm Guaranteed. sure. Right now, it's just a patch in my Helix, but whatever. Um, anyway, anyway, uh, Fall Out Boy. I was doing them, been with them for about 14 years. So, well, 15 and uh, as of this year. But in that time, obviously, like they're not always touring. So yeah. I jump back and forth. Um, I, my first real like long-term band was Motion City Soundtrack. Um, like those yeah. guys are basically... They're like my family, you know, that uh-huh. I was in Jesse's wedding, uh, you know, like I was Tony, the drummer, Tony Thaxton lives like five minutes away from me. We hang out all the time. I talked to him. Awesome. I was talking to him right before we got on this thing. Like he's like one of my closest friends, you know, Matt, I visited him in Portland, like within this last year, you know, just a lot of, you know, those guys, they kind of taught me they kind of threw me into the fire a little bit because I was, I had worked for another band before that I worked for brand new for a very brief period of time. Um, and that was when I was kind of like, I can go work for my friends. And, um, when I'm done with this, when I'm done with these tours, I have lined up, I'll, I'll go back to playing again. And when that was coming to a close, I think the last tour I did with them was opening for incubus in the UK um, on that tour, I met a tech who helped me out. Who's, who's like taught me so much shit over the years. Um, he was working for incubus and we stayed friends from that time until he actually passed away a couple of years ago. But he, um, he kind of made me up my game a little bit and I wasn't still, I still wasn't fully like, okay, I'm not gonna, um, I'm not going to be a tech full time, but then motion city hit me up and I was like, all right, I can do this like warp tour and whatever. And then warp tour was kind of like the, that's where I learned. That's where I, it was. That was being in the, in the military of uh tagging. Cause it's, For you know, touring. yeah. And the mil- Yeah. And it's like, I don't have love or hate for it. I'm just, I'm, I'm glad I did it. I don't, I don't ever want to tour like that again. And I did yeah, it I feel so the many exact times. same way. Yeah. And like some people have like a book, book warp tour. And maybe, you know, while I was doing it, I was like that, but it was also cause I was tour managing guitar, teching, bass, teching keyboards. I was sometimes like have to jump behind monitors. Like it was dude at one point when I was okay. So this was not in 2004, but in 2005, we did warp tour with motion city and they were, they were on the whole thing. In 2004, they did like a week or two. So I kind of got a little bit of a, you know, primer. I was like, Ooh, I'm like, okay, this is a, this is a, this is a crazy one, you know, like whatever. 
2005, we did the whole thing and I was tour managing and guitar teching. So my days, I would wake up way before everyone else and I would have to go to the office and I, would, I had, I had a bike, I had this little BMX bike so I could ride to the office, check on the schedule, see what was going on, get, grab a case of water, a case of beer or whatever, stack it on the handlebars and cruise back oh, to the, man. cruise back to the bus. And then I'd be like, all right, now it's eight o'clock. Eight o'clock is when I have to go dump the truck. Cause I'm a tech. So yeah. I'm over here. I got my radio on. I got my phone ready to go and I'm in a truck and it's already a hundred degrees and I'm sweating my ass off in this truck and I'm dumping it. And I'm still thinking like, I need to print set lists. I need to, um, I need to find out what time they're playing. I need to go to the office and get whatever. And I need to start scheduling their press for the day. I need to start figuring out what time they're going to do their signing. So I would ride over. They had a MySpace tent, right? That's what one of the sponsors were. <laughs> um, that was like a uh, Facebook before all the racism and the, uh, <laughs> for people who don't know, that's what that was. A more innocent time in social networking. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was Facebook without your grandma posting weird shit, you know? <laughs> so we, I would have to go over to the, to the, my, the MySpace tent and um, grab posters for them to sign so that I can bring them back to the bus, have them sign them on the bus. They had, keep in mind, these guys aren't even awake yet. Just go back to the bus and be like, yo, you need, you need to sign these posters for them. And then we need to do some other, get ready. Cause you're going to do a MySpace thing or whatever, whatever it was. So I go back to go back to the bus with the posters. It's about eight 30 now. About 8.45, I get the word that they're on first. Hey, you guys are playing at 11. <sighs> so now it's like, fuck, I got to wake these guys up, <laughs> you know? And, you know, it's band dudes, you know, they don't, they're not, they're not really wanting to get up at nine in the morning to go play a breakfast show. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And sometimes I'd be, you know, some of the dudes would be up nine or whatever. And then I'd have to go in the back and I'd, you know. You open that, you open that door to the bunk hallway. It's nice and cool. The air's been, you know, air's flowing. You just hear the the light sounds of dudes snoring that probably like do not want to be woken up. And I'm in there like, you know, you give a little soft tap. You pull the curtain back just a little bit. Just like, hey man, hey, fuck you. What, 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 what do you want? Yeah. Um, you got to play in an hour and a half. And I got these posters for you to sign and I got to get the fuck out of here right now because I have yeah. to go do some other tour management thing. And I'm, let me tell you, man, from all this running around back and forth on the bike, carrying water, carrying posters, teching, loading trucks, bringing the guys through the crowd to the whatever. Dude, I lost 20 pounds that summer. And at one point I had completely lost my voice. So all these press people are talking to me. They're like, you okay? Is your voice sound? You're, you're doing all right? I'm like, I'm fine. I just, I'm just sick of talking all day. You know, <laughs> and my voice is already pretty naturally scratchy. And it sounded like, dude, I was losing my mind on that. But to go back to that, that was my first like being thrown in the fire. And for what it's worth, I got him through it. I didn't, I mean, I wanted to quit touring after that, but Luckily, I didn't. I kept on, you know. That's so much work. I mean, you're talking about, on average, pulling 14, 15-hour days easy. I was doing the work of, like, 
six people at once. I mean, there was a time in 2006 when I was with them. We were in Australia. I was still, God, I was still tour. Was I still tour managing? I don't remember. I don't remember what was going on, but I was like, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I'm like burnt out. I was burnt out. We were touring nonstop. We toured as much as I did when I was in a van. But instead, now we're flying around the world and we're checking gear at airports and we're running it's a around. Lot. It's a lot. It's yeah. a and it it wears you out, especially if you're like one of the only crew dudes. Like I was the only at one point, like I said, I was teching, stage managing when they were headlining. I was I, they had their own little monitor desk, like a little crust board that I was like, I'd go back there and like run monitors while I'm like tuning guitars and like fixing yeah. keyboards. Like it was like mental, you know, and I'm doing it, but yeah. I did that until 2006 and I was like, I am out of here. I can't do this. And I bailed and they hired two techs to take over for me. And I, that was also the year that I ended up starting to work for fallout boy when they, I was like, man, I'm not sure if I want to go back to this. I was like working in a venue. I was working at the Aragon ballroom. I was working oh, okay, at yeah. like the Riviera. I was working for a production company. I was a stagehand, and like, uh-huh. I'd see people I knew coming through. They were like, oh, you're just, uh, you're get time off a tour. I'm like, oh no, I'm not touring anymore. They're like, hmm. Okay. <laughs> that whatever look. you, they like, whatever you say, <laughs> you know? And I'm like, I'm like, no, no, I'm cool. I'm totally happy here, you know? And then like, I'd see like the end of the night, their bus pull away and I'm like, fuck, I wish I was on a bus right now going and doing the next thing. And that yeah. kind of sparked me to get back into it. Cause 2006, I would have quit this shit for good. But, um, luckily I didn't because the, the better things were coming after, you know, I think but, that's yeah, very that, relatable. Yeah. Especially when you were stretched so thin and it's a common occurrence, especially when bands are kind of finding that I guess that transitional period of trying to save as much money mm-hmm. as possible. And oftentimes uh, it comes at the hand of overworking our crew and asking them to right. overextend themselves beyond what they're getting paid for. And I think that's so common in the industry. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I, I also didn't know, I didn't know enough about the, um, just the, just the bit, the bigger, the bigger picture, the bigger world of touring. I was so like, um, with like mid-level bands. Like I had toured, you know, when I wasn't with motion city, I would do stuff with like Bayside and stuff like that. And they're all like, I mean, these are all people that I consider friends now. Like people like Anthony, I talk to you almost every day. The motion city guys I talk to all, you know, every day. Um, and I, I don't mind working for my friends, but I also know that a lot of my friends bands aren't mega rock stars that can afford having, very specialized techs where the pressure isn't always on and you're, you aren't always doing five different jobs. I'm glad that I did that because it taught me how to, how to kind of manage all that at once. Yeah. But I mean, if you told me to do that for like a guns and roses or uh, any other, any of the bigger bands I've worked for, like, I mean, they don't even know what that is. Like there's people who are on those tours who have never heard of, warp tour or never heard of right. that kind of you're like what you were in the same bus as the band i don't get it you shit you like you <laughs> like you slept in the same you guys were in the same hotel what <laughs> who does that what what was it was it charity work what were you doing like you know they look at you like they can't believe it that's real work. they can't believe yeah, I was it gonna, i was wondering it must be nice for you having had so much time being utility man mm-hmm. um 
Is it nice for you to go into a setting like Guns N' Roses where you just do your job? Well, yeah. A tour it, manager or a production manager is like, here's your hotel key. Here's your this. I, this is dude, the times. And just like, boom. And it, and, and every, even the bigger, you know, like the first like real big thing I ever did, you know, I did that. My first like arena tour was with, um, was with Fall Out Boy. I had never, I don't even think we had done, maybe like Motion City had done like, opening uh, an arena show or something. But the right. first time I was with a, a headliner in an arena, you know, was on that fall Boy tour. And I got, you know, I got called my buddy, Dan Sue, who was their tour manager at the time. He, um, Dan called me and he was like, you want to do this thing? He's like, I, you know, Pete needs a bass tech or someone, maybe it was Joe needed a tech or whatever it was. My first, my first tour out with them. And I was like, okay, what else do I do? He's like, that's it. Like you work for this one person. And yeah. I was like, it was crazy. So like you, I've never been on a production that big. And the first time I show up and there's like six buses and 10 trucks and whatever. And you, I'm looking around like, holy shit, I'm in over my head. Like, that's like the, my first thought is like, I'm in over my head. I don't know. I mean, the first tour we did was like a warm up tour. It was newfound glory and, Fall Out Boy. So that was easy because like I already knew the newfound guys. I had known the Fall Out, Boy, Fall Out Boy guys forever. We were in like two buses and there was like one truck. It was real small, small, like playing the Warfield or, you know, like that's how small <laughs> that was literally my first show with them was at the Warfield. And I was like, still big. I'm like, yeah, it's, it's a big theater, you know, venue. People don't know yeah. that's San Francisco, Tenderloin, famous uh, Warfield, maybe like a 3000 cap or something like that. Yeah, Some, somewhere around yeah. there. Yep. So like to me, that's still a big deal. I was like, man, this is still bigger than most of the Motion City shows I did. And that was the warm up. That wasn't the tour. That was like the next thing we did was this like amphitheater tour. So we're rolling into like the 30,000 seat outdoor, the you know grass as far as the eye can see. And I'm like one single cog in this giant machine, you know, and you realize really quick, just like from you know, I'm like around all these other techs and all these other people. I'm like, you realize that your job is specialized and you only need to worry about this one thing. And I'm just, because the nature, my nature is like, I see someone across the stage, another tech struggling or whatever. And I'm, I want to run and help, but like, I can't leave what I'm doing to go help them. Yeah. So now I'm like, I, now I'm trained to the point where like, I see someone struggling. I'm just like, sitting there with my, I'm like, mm, that's great. So I got my, my iced coffee and my food. I'm like, ah, oh, sorry. I wish I could help you. Wish I could help. <laughs> no, no, I'm just playing. I don't do, <laughs> do it. I'm not going to do no. my guys like that, but you know, like it's, I get what the, you're for, saying for the most part, you know, they, we're all professionals. We're all like problem solvers and whatever. So yeah. I'm not, I don't go run off to help someone because normally they, everyone has their checklist of things they need to do. Like if something happens at a show for me, right. like you're like, you're saying like detail oriented, like I do the same things every day, whether or not they're going to use this guitar, this instrument, whatever I do the same maintenance, same prep work, make sure it's ready to go because you never know. That's like one day that someone's going to be like, I want this. Or I want that. Right. Or if something goes wrong, I know how I set it up every single day so that if it goes wrong, I go down my checklist and say, okay, it, it, this is the fail point and I can fix it. If someone runs over to help me do that, they don't know what my checklist is. They don't know what my, what that I did sense. to, to get to that point. So I'm just like, yo, back off. Like I'll fix this. Like, unless I'm really struggling and something's on fire 
or, you know, then I'm like, Hey, someone come help. You know, I like look yeah. around like, yo, help me, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But That's yeah, legit. but that was like, that was my first, I, you know, follow up with being the first like big, uh, artist that I worked for of that, that level where it was like mission critical, one person kind of gig. But now that I'm, you know, obviously 15 years into it, I, you know, a lot of, a lot of that is stuff that I've built to be autopilot, like my rigs that yeah. I've built, like I, I know how they work. So, and I, I know the maintenance that needs to go into stuff like that. So there isn't really knock on wood for whatever the next uh, thing is. I mean, they, they, they usually don't fail. So Word. But that's the deal. You, you also worked with Primus, right? I did. For I a did. tour a tri- or multiple like about, tours? About or? a year about a, a little under a year we did a few tours were you less less claypool's tech i was larry's tech oh you were a drum tech no no larry's a guitarist larry lalonde oh i mean sorry yeah you're right i was guitar tech. there was the a drummer. there was this guy um he actually worked he worked at a venue in the bay area i forget what his name is he was he was at the time he was less's tech um but and i was i was larry's guy was Tim back playing drums then? Or no, was it, it was uh, Jay Lane. Oh, Jay, Jay Lane. Jay, you know Jay. He plays with like Further and or yeah, uh-huh. play, like the, he's he's from like the Dead World, which yeah. I didn't. It's funny because I didn't understand that the the first time I did, um, I got hired to do the Primus thing, and this is this is actually this is pretty funny. Is like my I I don't know them at all. I like at this time like 2010 was when I did this, so. I didn't know I had never met them. I had never met their management. I didn't know anybody. I didn't know their crew. And their crew was like mostly just like Bay Area dudes who were like yeah. their production manager, production manager dead. And, you know, they were all like in that world. And I just like didn't. I was like, I don't get why this is like this, because I had not seen Primus in a very long time. Like the last time I saw them was the 90s. And they're like weird funk metal mosh, you know, totally weird core, you know. And. I'm in, I'm in the rehearsal, you know, in the, in the room, setting up, I'm helping Larry out. I meet Larry, super nice guy. Like one of the nicest dudes in all of rock and roll. And I'm just like, help, you know, he's got a new pedal board. We're working out some pedal stuff and in walks Les Claypool, dude, this guy comes in and you know, he's like a tall, like, like slanky guy. He walked the, he like kicks the door open kind of like first thing you see is his like long leg, like kind of saunter in and he's got this stovepipe top hat on. It's like two feet tall. And I'm like, and he's just like doffs his hat a little bit, like shakes it in the air. He's like, <laughs> Hey, Hey everybody. And I'm like, no way. I'm like, he's really like this all the time. Like that's n- not possible. And everyone looks over. They're like less. And he's like, then he takes it off. He's like, yeah, it's a pretty ridiculous hat. He's like, I'm going to take this on tour with me. And I'm like, then he snaps into like normal person. And I was like, oh, my God, thank God he's not this character <laughs> all the time because I would fucking lose it if that was real. But he yeah. was definitely like uh, putting this in the wardrobe case, definitely going to wear this on stage, you know. <laughs> but um, we did that. We did that tour. And um, the first show was at the Great American Music Hall. We did two shows oh. there and they did two two sets each night. And I was like, I get the first set list and it's like six songs long and they're telling me that the 
they're like, yeah, it's going to be like an hour and change, like probably like an hour and a half for the first part of the set. I was like, this is six, six songs. songs. Yeah. And they're like, have you not seen Primus lately? Yeah. Do you not know what we're about, bro? <laughs> and uh, yeah, I didn't know Primus is a jam band now. Like they're like, a, they're like, they jam, they, they get up there and like, I, I mean, I love it. I was like, oh my God, I didn't know this is like what they over the years have transitioned into. And we did like some jam festivals. We did all that shit. And, and like, it didn't occur to me the first time I saw that set list. I'm like, which I still have here somewhere. Like looking at it, I was like, really? I'm like, they're going to jam on my name is mud. How are they going to do that? And then like, you get up there like, well, they just played a 20 minute version of my name is mud somehow. <laughs> <You know? laughs> They've really dragged it out somehow. Yeah. They're going to morph it into Jerry was still a race car yeah, driver. Yeah, Jerry still, you know? to this day, might still be a race car driver from that show. <laughs> might still be going, dude. Now, that was that was a good experience, too. Like, that was a different world of... Um, a different world of musicianship. Like, that was the first, like... I'm not... Again, I'm not trying to discredit anybody's musicianship in any of the bands I've worked for, but those are the first, like, over-the-top musicians where I'm like, whoa, this is really about people come to see these guys operating on this level. Right. Yeah. Fall Out Boy fans true. are very different or, you know, those kind of, you know, pop rock, you're, you know, like you're looking at like people who feel right. un, feel and look untouchable. You know, they're just like, they see these people and they're like, Oh my God, that's so crazy. I've had a lot of time to think about these, like the differences in a lot of the, the fans of the bands that I've, worked for, but you know, you get like a fall Out boy fan back in that era, 2007 to whatever, 2008, they were really like younger kids who would like see them and scream. Like, they're just like, Oh my right. God, I can't believe I'm seeing Patrick and Joe and these dudes up on stage and just like screaming. And then you go work for Primus and it's like their fans are dudes trying to give you demos to pass off to the band. <laughs> and they're asking if they can take pictures of the gear, you know? And you're just like, what is happening? Like I would be like yeah. breaking down gear at the end of the night, just like, and you know, I'm trying to get the fuck out of there. I just want to like get on the bus and drink a beer and eat the pizza, you know? And I'm just trying to like, and this guy's like, no, 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 don't move that yet. I want to take a picture. Like this dude in the crowd is like behind me at the barricade still like taking pictures of the gear so you can put it on his like Primus gear fan page, you know, it's totally yeah. different like vibe. And then you have the bit, you know, then I have bands like motion city and Bayside whose fans were like, very like they're very earnest like very endeared like they're just kind of like your music saved my life your lyrics mean this and like they want to talk to you know there were times like on tour like with you know especially with Bayside you know and especially with Anthony like people coming up to him being like but you know what did this lyric I, you know look I got this tattoo like this lyric means this to me and whatever and like I was like whoa that's like a different level of fandom it's all really cool. I'm like, I, I appreciate all of it, you know, totally. just from every, every aspect, every band, like I said, has different fans. Like Guns N' Roses fans are like, whatever. They're just, they're seeing something totally different. That's like, yeah, yeah, they're just, a lot of them are just, they were just punishers anyway. They're just like, totally they, have to be. Yeah. Come to Brazil, dude. Come to Brazil. It's like, come to Brazil. It's like, we were yeah. just in Brazil. What are you talking about? We You're can't saying come, come there to again. Brazil. You're saying come to Brazil on a post that's announcing a Brazil tour yeah. and you're still just can't, can't hold it. How back. did that become a thing? How did that become a, what was it? What is that? <laughs> well, as you know, having you yourself having been there and 
you know, I have as well a couple of times. It's like you kind of see how in the big cities it's developing so quickly that they're mm-hmm. like so tuned oh, yeah, into yeah. American culture and music that that's all they want. That's the only thing I can think of because I'm just like, w- yeah. what else would it be, you know? Yeah, it's just it's just so funny that became like a weird meme trope kind of like every you know, yeah. and it's like a joke that I can pass off. Like a lot of like my bands, you know, you know that world of people like artists. Like it was a thing with um, you know um, you know Riley Breckenridge, right? Yeah, Th- thrice dude. Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Riley. That was something that like I um. I, I would just like we'd be on Twitter or like like on Facebook whatever and like no matter what it was one of us would reply to the other one come to Brazil <laughs> yeah. and like the, yeah just so it's just so stupid but when we first noticed that you're like why are people constantly asking you to come to Brazil it's hard to get to Brazil man it's there's hard not like they multiple don't get it. production it's, companies you dude know? it's, it's also, like it's there's really like two. fucking far away like it's, yeah. it's a long time yeah. to get there. And the country is huge. It's like massive, as huge as the states. Flying in between shows, you're talking not about one hour flights. You're talking about three, four, Dude, five hour so flights. The so. biggest, the most extensive Brazil tour I've ever done in my life was with Anthrax. I toured with Anthrax for about half a year. Um, Sick. We did. Yeah, it was that. You know, that was also like a Sick. thing. Talk about music, musicianship. Like some of the dudes in that band, like. Not specifically Scotty and I don't think he's like the greatest guitarist, but like what Rob Caggiano was playing guitar. My man is like, he's operating on a different level with his guitar as far as shredding goes. Like if you want to, you know, yeah. talk, talk They're shreddy. So they were so influential and you, especially coming from Long Island, that must've been like a big well, deal. It was, to it was a huge deal. Cause yeah. I technically really started playing bass because I heard caught in a mosh and I was like, I want to play that. What I want to do that beginning that do, 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 Like, how do I do that? And someone was like, that's a bass guitar. So I figured, I was like, all right, I'm gonna get a bass guitar and figure out yeah. how to play this. But I ended up working for them, working for Frank, for Frankie and for Rob. And yeah, we did, we did Brazil and we did like nine shows there, I think, or eight or nine. It was supposed to be like eight or nine. I think we ended up doing like seven of them. Cause the first show we did, we were supposed to do was in a city called San Luis, which is way, way north. It's almost like near Bella Horizonte. No, like it's in a no. If I look at a map, I have to look at a map, but it's 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 far. Like where where people Brazilian people were like, why did you go there? They forget what <laughs> I forget what state it's in. It's in some state where they were like, that's basically all just jungles in that city. Like it's not. It's just that's all it is there. And it's like uh-huh. real close to like Venezuela. It's like really far north and okay. uh, I guess west or whatever in the country. And we went there to do a festival. We showed up at the festival on the night before to check it out and see what was there. Like we had to, you know, because it was so far away, like the gear that we rented, we had a separate set of gear there. And we get there and they're just like, dude, the gear's trash. Megadeth's crew is there. It was like a big metal festival and they were headlining that night. Their crew was there and they were like, turn around, get the fuck out of here. Like, <laughs> you don't want to be here. Trust me. And it was like, we found out that they had, um, the city had pulled a permit on them so they couldn't have toilets and they didn't have, you know, it was like, it was what? fucking bonkers. I, can, I should send you the news articles from that. It was like, 
really, really crazy. They were basically shutting down the festival as it was happening. And there was like dudes on site pulling the porta potties out and taking the, the uh, coverage of the backstage, like, you know, it was like walkways and stuff. And you know, you're in a jungle. It's like rains a lot. And it was raining like directly on the stage. It was raining directly on catering and like, there was no coverage on anything. So we oh were like, God. the crew is all there. And we're like, our tour manager makes the executive decision of this isn't happening. So we go back to the hotel and Scott is sitting in the hotel the restaurant, which is like a churrascaria. And they're like slicing off meats and whatever. And he's like, how's it look? And we're like, doesn't look good. We're probably leaving tomorrow. Yeah. And we fucking booked it out of town. We were like, just skipped out on the festival. And then we did a bunch of other cities. I had never, you know, I'd been to Brazil before, but never to outside of Rio or Sao Paulo. We did like Belo Horizonte. We did Porto Alegre, uh, Curitiba. Yeah. Uh, you know, just like the B, I guess the B markets of Brazil, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you could, if there's such um, a thing. That reminds me of when there was in 2013 when they brought back skate and surf for one year and we were on it oh, and you, you were guys there. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Because they had us and like glass John saves the day and you remember oh. this, right? Like we get there, we fly in the night before. Oh, that's another one. Yeah. Dude. And it reminds, it's exactly the same thing. We're like Dave Shapiro, our booking agent texts us in the hotel room the next morning and goes, Hey guys, just so you know, you probably don't know what's going on, but you don't have to play if you don't want to, I'll still get you your full guarantee. And we were like, what? And then I called him up and he's like, yeah. So the governor after Sandy said that none of the stages are allowed to have coverings because of the safety factor and it's going to rain all day long. I'm going to tell you something. Not to, I mean, this could be off record or whatever, but there's no way that the governor said anything about that. That was I just know, that dude weird, right? didn't, didn't have a roof for his stage. They made some bullshit. Dude, it was crazy. Bro. We did it. We played out in the open and it rained. It rained with yeah. no stage, no coverage. I had a Same little fucking six by six pop or eight by eight pop up tent over my gear that was in. I put everything like off stage. I was like, all right. All the amps and everything are going to live in this tent that has no walls. And I had yeah. plastic over everything. And I just ran speaker cables out to everyone's amps. And I was like, everything's off stage over here in my world. That's how it's going to go. Like, That was the same tent that I stood under when we played because I was just like, <laughs> I have all my synths and my pedals. They oh my can't God, get yeah. wet. So literally the other guys in RX were out all in the rain. And if you see pictures of us on stage, <laughs> you're just, just me under the tent. Oh, uh, yes. fucking diva. Look at this diva. He's in the tent. <laughs> I just did. I was still touring with my Moog then. And I'm like, yeah. I can't. This no, can't of course. Like, Dude, yeah, yeah. we weren't touring. We had, we didn't have any like, you know, we didn't have any vintage gear or anything, but who the hell wants to be out in the rain? A with electrical <laughs> equipment. And so B, sketchy. On a stage that was already sketchy when we pulled up, dude, we we get to the stage and, um, you know, there's a ramp that goes up to it or whatever. I don't know how they got this shit on stage. Probably wasn't even a ramp. We probably deadlifted everything. There was, you know, they, they didn't think <laughs> they didn't think to, like, get a ramp. They probably just had stairs. And I'm looking. The stage is like, I know I'm not super tall or anything. I'm like, you know, I'm like five, seven, but I can, I'm like that. It's at head height. And I'm looking under the stage and it's all just straight. There's no like a uh, cross brace. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. Dude. So me and my, at the time, our tour manager, this guy, Brent 
and AJ, our drum tech, we just grab part of the stage and we start doing this to it. Like move, like for the listener, oh, I'm rocking man. it. We're three dudes. Now keep in mind, this is a big 40 by 40 or whatever stage. And we're yeah. rocking the thing back and forth. And we just go to the stage manager. And we're like, we're not putting a single thing on the stage until you get some cross braces and at least, at least try, at least, you know, lie to me, you know, just yeah. show me that you did something. Cause like, this is like trying to set up on a dining room table, right? This is like, once you start putting weight on this thing, there's no cross braces. This is going to buckle. You haven't, you guys haven't put a single thing on here yet. And then while this is going on, there's a cherry picker behind us with a video wall attached to it by like, um, exactly with like chains and it's just like exactly and they just like the slowly wind. and they're slowly moving it over i'm like um <laughs> our like a lighting guy was like um don't actually put that over the stage he's like yeah maybe we want to stop a little short of getting having the swinging video wall over the artists you know and although it was big for a video wall for the perspective of the stage and the size of the audience it, was it still so, looked it was like a loincloth up there it was so small I remember it looked like when no effects would fly that little mini little, little, that banner. little mini banner. <laughs> and I remember specifically standing there next to the side of the stage. I was I was hanging with like Daraja and Manny or something, and we were looking mm -hmm. up there. And your guys' LD was like going through some of the visuals, and he put like the Fallout Boy logo up on the video screen. It was tiny, and I started laughing because it was so small. And I'm just like, this looks this looks like a joke. Like this must be intentional Dude, or something. That I, festival I, was a mess. We talk about that. It's funny too. We'll we'll bring that up once in a while, and share photos of it because we have a few photos of like the the video wall, just like the no the no seal the no uh, roof over anything. Yeah, you know the band playing in the rain. That's like, I remember, oh God, Patrick playing. He had, one of the songs he plays acoustic on, and he's playing. I give him his acoustic. He's playing, playing, end of the song, just the rain, just being rained on, just fried out the pickup. Just oh, fried man. it out. And I'm like, great. Now I just have that. This is just now work for me now. I gotta, I gotta, this totally avoidable thing, you know, is just, is now is work. It's and I'm, and it's, and we're, this is dangerous. What we're doing right now is dangerous. These so guys have dangerous. live, live microphones in standing water on a stage. Like this is so bad. Yeah. But that's right. I forgot that you guys played that. I always remember it being like, I remember Macklemore played. <laughs> That's right. That? Yeah. Macklemore and. Uh, I think Macklemore, Paramore and Fallout Boy were the headliners, weren't they? Yeah. Something like yeah. that. I do remember like during the day when it was kind of nice out, I just went on rides. Same. <laughs> After like, we played. I was like, yeah. <laughs> you know, once I was set up and I'm like, you know, the headliner thing, you just push everything off to the side or the back. And I was like, all right, my stuff's off to the side. Some like um, one of the promoters and one of the, you know, their, his reps were like, oh, we can, we can take you guys to the rides. We can let you cut the lines. We're like, I was like, yeah, I'm like, as quick as I can do it. I got work to do, you know, whatever. And we went on that one on that big ass roller coaster. Like I'm a yeah. huge roller coaster fan. So that was a, that was a big, like one to check off the list. It was fun. We played and went and rode rides and, you know, it's just teenagers working the lines. So we would just flash oh, yeah. our laminate and walk through the fast pass lane and be like, they said we could. And they'd be like, who's People they? And we'd be like, so bummed too. Like they look yeah. at you like, why are they coming in? Cause we were going through the exit, you know, like, yeah, so like exactly. people would be getting off the rides and I'm like, I want to be in the front and then just go, go to and like the, you know, the front of a roller coaster is always the longest line yeah. and we're entering through the exit. They're like, whoa, 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 it was supposed to be my turn. I'm like, 
sorry. And I like flash my lemon. They're like, we don't know what that means. I don't know what that is. Yeah. But we're, <laughs> like, we're oh, whatever. They say that and we just keep walking. We're like, Hey, yeah. just holding it up. <laughs> we're getting just, on. That's, you know, that's just a secret to life. Like walk around with some sort of laminated object. It always looks more official than just you trying to talk your way into something, you know? It's true. And, and not like to give away too about, many trade secrets, you know? Right. But. <laughs> right. And another trade secret secret, which is I'm not encouraging anybody to try and sneak backstage or anything. But the truth is, is if you walk with authority, like the attitude of like, you're supposed to be there, it's at least 50% less likely that somebody's yeah. going to ask for your credentials. It's, it's uh, weird. It's so it could be, and it could be anything. I have this like, Kind of fame. Um, it's 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 a story I've told amongst friends before, but it was the last warp tour I ever did. Um, ended in would have been Ventura, I guess, at the Ventura County Fairgrounds, whatever. Yeah. And um, you know, it's it, we don't put the stuff back in the truck. It's got to go back to the into our the bus trailer so it can go back to. It was with Motion City, so back to Minneapolis. So I had to take everything from the stage, bring it, walk it to, back to the bus, which is parked and God knows where. And as soon as it was over, I was like, you know what? I'm done for the day. We finished early. And I think the Bronx were playing later that day. So I was like, fuck yeah, I'm going to go see the Bronx. going to grab a beer, walk to the stage. So I'm, well, you know, I got my beer in my right hand walking, you know, I walk up to the gate, you know, taking a sip. And the woman at the gate just like, and I'm walking, you know, same thing with authority. Got my laminate out. Everything's cool. And she's like, uh, you can't come in here with that. And I like looked down and go, oh, I'm sorry. And I just move it to my other hand and walked right past her. I totally Jedi mind tricked her. She thought I was like getting rid of it. I just literally moved it into my other hand and kept going. <laughs> and she Dude. was so befuddled by it that she just didn't even try to stop me. <laughs> I was like, Especially yes. if it's in the afternoon, all those people working the festival are so toasted. They're just yeah, like, they're just- fuck it. Whatever. Just, yeah, yeah, just like that, like looking at me like, no, 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 you can't do that. I'm like, oh, God, oh, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Then just keep yeah. walking. <laughs> so stupid. Oh, there's but been so many times I've been on festivals or tours like that where I walk yeah. past somebody, I'm 10 feet past them, they realize they didn't check my credentials, they go, hey, hey, excuse me, can I, and I just pretend like I don't hear them and I just keep walking. <laughs> just keep going. Just keep what's going. What's it going to, you know, what's it do? What does it matter? <laughs> so, yeah, that, but, yeah. Uh, then... That Ventura County uh, or the Seaside Park Day of Warp Tour—that's everybody's mm-hmm. favorite day because you're right on the water and the weather's oh, always yeah. beautiful. It's a, it's beautiful there. It was just like, and it was over, and I knew I was going to be going home. That was that would have been—I don't remember what year. I was wherever I was. I was definitely not living here, so I was like, "This is it. I'm going to have my going to have a few beers and chill out." And then my flight was that night. I think it was going back to yeah. I had like a night flight back to. Um, Back to New York, and then that was it. So it was like that was kind of my wind down. Just watch, yeah. watch the Bronx. <laughs> and then, that's, yeah, that's a mellow day. Yeah. yeah, the last time I saw them was I watched them with you at the Thrice Show at Orange County House of Blues. Oh I yeah, think. I was standing next to you on Dave's yeah. side of the stage, Dave Chun's side of the stage, and uh, I love, I love, uh, man, I love that band. I love shows. I wish I could see one yeah. <laughs> at, at some point. I mean, I think we're, we're reaching that turning point, not to like drag too many current events into things, but I think we're reaching that turning point, you know, where we're do you like, have, do you have a tour plan for 2021 or two? I mean, 2022, yeah, no, 20, 2021. Oh, okay. 20, 2021. I think we're, I mean, 
man, I don't know when this is coming out, so I don't know what, how much I can say, but I, I, I think they might've said something today or yesterday that the, the tour that we had planned for last summer, the green day Weezer fallout boy tour stadium deal uh-huh. is getting moved to, it, it got moved to this year and is, is going to go ahead. Cool. But with, I believe altered dates. So it's going to start a little later and end yeah. a little later just to shift it, to give it just a little kind of, I mean, it's not starting till late July and realistically, man, we're here in April yeah. and things are already starting to kind of look positive, you know, like it, the good, the good, the good positive, not the yeah. tested positive, you know? <laughs> so we're just kind of, we, we kind of, we're, we're, we're sort of coasting on that momentum of things going in the right direction especially here in California, you know, the deal, like we're doing really well. So lowest numbers in the continental U S the only state with lower numbers currently is Hawaii. And the only reason we shifted those dates was to move the West coast to the end because just to give it that extra time to sort of really be open, you know, because we can, I mean, right now we can hit, we can do that tour in Florida and have 50,000 people (laughs) in the stadium. They don't care at all. They don't care. But you know, part of it is, yeah. And part of it is that, you know, the crew, the band and crew will be vaxxed and ready to go. You know, just I think it's a liability thing. And it's it's like, well, we're going to come into your venue. We'll do testing and whatever, like rapid testing to come in to prove like we're all vaxxed and nobody has anything. So the shit goes down in, in your venue. That's not on us. We didn't do it. And that's the I mean, that's I think going to be the way going forward for at least a little while until things really smooth out but so by july we should have majority of the country should be on their way to be able to go to a show you know who headlines that tour is it just rotating because all three no, it's green day oh, okay green Fair day enough. headlines it's it's it doesn't rotate it's just green day fallout boy and weezer weezer's second because in the states um the interrupters are opening See, there's oh, okay. that Scott thing. See, they go back yeah. to that Scott Punk thing. I was, yeah. dude, you know how stoked I was to, for them to be on that thing? I love the Bavonas. They're, do you know them at all? Do you know those guys? I don't know them, but we have a lot of mutual friends. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, they're, yeah, yeah they're, they're, out, they're around LA a lot. I, I run into them yeah. here and there. Um, Kevin was a tech at one point. He worked for Plus 44, okay. which was, was yeah. Mark Hoppus's thing. Um, yeah, those are you know. I was stoked on that. I was like, man, it's fucking cool. Usually, like, I, I'm not not trying to be that fucking old, that crusty old Brody dude, but like, I don't really watch the opening bands. But I'm like, at this point, uh, you know, a lot of times it's just I have work to do, and other times I'm like, the opening bands are playing when I have other things I need to do, like eat or you know, take yeah. a nap before a three hour GNR show. You know, like I just <laughs> yeah. have to like, I can't always be watching the opening bands, so. I was kind of stoked in that. I was like, wow. I'm like when the opening bands are the interrupters and Weezer, I'm like, I'll probably, I'll probably watch them a few times, you know? Yeah. I dig the interrupter style because it sounds like a diss, but it's not because Rancid is one of my favorite bands from my youth, but they're mm-hmm. like, if you took the ska songs off of outcome, the wolves and made a mm-hmm. band out of it, you know? And totally. Uh, I mean, they they're, they do, they do the two tone vibe thing just because they're like, no, I don't think there's any, they didn't have any auxiliary musicians when I've seen them, but 
Yeah, they do just, it in a rocky, punky way. Though, yeah, you know, totally yeah. with the keyboards and the yeah, it's, it's cool. You know, I mean, trust me, I we've had so many different opening bands over the years on these tours that like I'm. Just, there were times when like at the end of a tour, I'd like we do the big group photo on stage, and I'm like, who are these guys? I'm like, that's the open- <laughs> it's one of the openers, man. And I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, I've never been in the venue when they're playing. Like, do, like I get what I need to get done, and then like yeah. not not a not a diss, and it's like. There was maybe a time also when I was a little bit burnt on just music in general and music becomes a job. And like, that's good and bad. Like I'm glad that music is my career and that I make a living doing it, but I don't want to resent it. And I don't want to like hate looking at a guitar and being like, it just represents work to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, we need to be true to ourselves and there's only so much emotional and psychological real estate, especially after a certain age that you have for taking in new things, meeting new people and moving outside of getting what you need to get done, you know? So I get that. Yeah. I don't, I don't think it, and I don't think it was a thing where I was, um, Oh, you, you know, you, you do, you're right. You reach a point where, you're not actively seeking out new stuff. A lot of people get hit that wall and it took, it took different things. Like honestly, man, like this is going to sound crazy, but like just getting Spotify helped me be able to sample so much more stuff and like turn myself onto music. And I know it's a terrible, terrible outlet for musicians. I'm, I'm, I have music on Spotify. I know I've seen the, I've seen the checks. (laughs) They're not, they're not good, (laughs) but at the same time, you know, there's, there's, there's bands I, I probably wouldn't have given a shot to unless I could listen to their records on Spotify, you know, and, yeah. or, or got suggested something, which I never really thought I was like, ah, I'm never, I'm not an algorithm suggestion guy, but then I would do it. And I'm like, oh wow, this is really fucking cool. I'm like, and I'm like hoping that my own music somehow makes it into these algorithms so other people can hear it, you know, yeah. and then, now we're just fighting the algorithm, you know? So your current band called Knives? Knives, yeah. Uh, oh, not is it knives not plural? With a, it, it, no, it's it's plural. It's knives oh. with a yeah. But some some people look it up like as knives because it'll always want to autocorrect. It is right. not the name that I, I did not name this. So. Okay, <laughs> this it's is a Ben thing. <laughs> knives with an F. Then. Yes, knives with okay, an F. Cool, correct. And in that in that band, you play bass. I play bass. Uh, I'll, I'll like sing not, some background vocals. No, I don't. Not lead though. Okay, yeah, because I mean, I've listened to a few songs and it's pretty heavy. It's pretty grindy. Yeah, you know? yeah, it's like yeah, yeah. It's it's definitely a very '90s like, well, like, um, some parts helmet, some parts like really like, yeah, you know, filtery kind of like. So yeah, the deal with that, the deal with that band, uh, knives was originally it was <clears throat> it was just Warren the drummer and Ben Young the um the guitarist singer Ben was a guitar tech for the matches for a very long time. Oh, okay. Um, mm-hmm. He's actually, in, he's actually in the documentary a bit that came out about them. Yeah. Um, and Warren is also a tech. He was working at the time. Those two met, they were working for Lincoln park. Okay. Um, then Ben, Ben is a pretty like heavily influenced by that, that cert- very specific eras of the nineties. Like, uh, yeah, like that helmet kind of grungier, whatever stuff. And he had written a bunch of stuff. So he had Warren playing on it. Warren was recording and programming drums for all that stuff because Warren's a drummer, not a drum tech, but he's a drummer. And we both, we all three of us ended up on Fallout Boy together. 
And Ben was like, do you want to play bass on this thing? And I've known Ben for forever. And I was like, sure. Like when we have time off, like the three of us, you know, we have the same schedule. So, you know, let's, let's have a band together. And that that's became, cool. that's what nice became. So it was like, that was the, the birth of it. Now it's kind of shifted again because me and Ben still work for fallout boy, but um, Warren works for slipknot. So it's like, the schedules are very different and yeah. Warren also lives in London, England right now. So oh. that really makes it hard to play. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we, rec- you know, we recorded uh, stuff this year and that was a whole other thing, like learning how to record at home. You know, I'd never yeah. done it. I, it. Oddly enough, like all these years of being around studios and musicians and whatever, I just never learned to, I was very basic and now I'm like, I've learned some pro tools. I've learned Ableton. Like I've had the uh-huh. time to do it and we would demo our stuff in Ableton. And then we actually did some of the recordings at home and I did it in pro tools. And I was cool. like, Holy shit, I can actually do this. Like turns out you can record at home. I didn't know. <laughs> I'm <laughs> so far behind in technology. Like yeah. Uh, there you go. <laughs> tell me about your rig that you play with knives with knives. I'm honestly like, um, re- rehearsals like th- is my ideal setup, but like, just because we're such a small band, like I have to be adaptable. Yeah. It makes sense. So, you know, in my, in my rehearsal space, it's a, just a, you know, a 10 and an Ampeg head, just an Ampeg SVT? pro, an SVT, uh, uh, SVT seven, like a seven. One okay. Of those, yep. The seven. Yeah. One, you know, the deal. One, one of those, one of those guys. Yep. Um, and I run my pedal board, which is underneath me right now is just, I have one of those HX stomp, like a helix modeler. Uh-huh. So, I, yep. and you know, as a bass player, I'm not using a ton of effects. I'm ma- mainly um, a chorus and like an overdrive. My tone tends to be pretty, pretty fuzzy, dri- you know, heavy driven. And then this by is default, basically, knives. basically variations of what's that with um, knives. So yeah. yeah, basically your bass tone and knife songs are by default kind of fuzzy and crunchy. Just, yeah. Just, just real, they're pretty crunchy, like overdriven, like, uh-huh. You know, and you know what really actually, interestingly enough, what got me to really start playing that way, like really overdriven and starting to experiment with like distorted bass and stuff was Rob DeLeo from Robert yeah. DeLeo from Central oh, yeah. Pilots. I worked for him. I did a couple tours with them and I never knew how like hearing his tone soloed. I was like, holy shit, this is so overdriven. It's so like buzzsaw, but like it. It just makes so much sense. And he it plays does. so hard with his fingers. Fingers. So yeah. like, yeah. I mean, that dude is a monster bass player. He's monster. still one of my favorite bass players. Oh my God. Um, over his, multiple his, records. Like his bass playing is so tasty. But for me still, his bass playing all over core, even on the big yeah. songs, like the bass lines and plush, you're just like, these are amazing bass parts, dude. I amazing. know, man. And just hearing that, being able to hear that and study that and like, and this is kind of what sold me on this. I know it's such a like a weird thing. Like some people are so like anti line six, but the stomp is really that is do you I mean this is a pretty gear nerdy, whatever, but like the stomp for me did everything I wanted to do. It was so compact. Like I know it's limited to some like guitar guitarists are like, yeah, I need more buttons. I need to be able to do more shit. But as a bassist, A, it's my recording interface. Right now yeah. it's just USB out. I've got eight outs on it. I could do whatever. Um, 
I put cab sims on it and I could split my signal. So if I'm going to play live and I could bring my 810, I bring it. Yeah. And I have my signal going to that unaffected. And then I have a signal DI to front of house with my cab on it. Um, if I don't have any of that stuff, I can always plug this. I have patches to plug in front of just whatever is yeah. in house, which is, I would say 90% of what we, I mean, we don't play a whole lot, obviously not in the last year at all. But when we did, if I went somewhere like we did a show at the whiskey and you know, they don't want you bringing anything in there. That's like a, you know, they, they couldn't give <laughs> except a shit for if the money the, that you got from selling tickets. That's the only yeah, thing which we didn't have to do, which is, which is funny because we opened for, it was Keith from every time I dies other, you know, the yep. Keith and yep. he does, um, the damn things with, with Joe from fallout boy, right. and Andy. And they were just like, we'll just have you guys open. And then they, then the whiskey stuck two pay to play bands in between us. And we didn't, we didn't play. We just got put on the show. And these other bands were like, do you guys sell tickets? We're like, no, we're actually friends <laughs> with the, uh, with the headliners. And they put us on the show. So we actually got this like yeah. legit and they were up there paying to play and they're doing like chili peppers covers. And I'm like, you actually paid to go play chili peppers covers at the yeah. whiskey at a show in front of like three, 400 people. Like yeah, that, whatever. Anyway, digression aside, I brought this just because I can go direct out out of this. I, you know, I, I go direct out of my, this HX. It sounds the way I want it to sound, whatever. Like I try to make it as portable just as a, as a tech, just like portable, easy to plug in. But also that there's that tech thing of, in me that like, I take care of so many other people's stuff that for about a year I had a pedal on here that I was like, God, I really want to change the position of it. Like I don't love the way it is. Like I keep stepping on something else. It took me yeah. a full year to change it. Cause I was like, <laughs> so like, I'm like, ah, it's fine. It's working. Like, why would I like, why would I unvelcro it and move it? And I was sending photos. <laughs> I was sending photos to my buddy, Jay, uh, Jason, who's uh he was a drum tech for motion city a, a long, a long time ago. He plays, he plays in the casket lottery now. Um, and oh, I was sending cool. him photo. I was sending him photos of that, of, of the thing. And he's like, why would you change it? Well, he's like, why would you change it? You're never going to change it. I'm like, I changed it. I finally did it. That's <laughs> great. It's like, I was like, Oh, why was this like turned weird? I don't know. Anyway, was that the helix you're talking about? Or they, is it they, well, the helix. Yeah, no, I have the helix, but like, because it really is only three buttons on it. And I do need to be able to like scroll through different, patches i have like a little midi like a two okay. button midi thing to go up down and then yeah, like sense. to change the to change the way it looks because i can go from like snapshots to right um to, to just like a, working like a stomp kind of pedal board yeah you know so i have like my my overdrive my chorus and whatever you know so it's do you a, do you use the tuner in that or do you have a separate no nope, i have a I have separate tuner i have a little like one of those mini um, the polytune, like a TC electronics one, yeah, just cause it's really great. small. Yeah. It's a really small thing. And I, I got a bunch of, you know, got a free bunch of free stuff from them. They of course get over the years, just give me stuff. And I have a, a base, a compressor just, you know, cause cool. it kind of cleans up my unevenness in my playing. Yeah. And I have, I have a distortion on here that I don't really use as a distortion as much as I use it as like a bottom. It's an MXR based distortion that they oh, did. Yeah. They made, um, do you know Ryan from Fuzzerocious? Do you know the Fuzzerocious pedal line? I know Fuzzerocious, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Ryan, Ryan is a buddy of mine, and he gave, he had given Pete one of these to try out 
for his rig for fallout boy. And then I, I liked it. So I ended up getting myself one and yeah. I was using that as a base distortion when I didn't have the HX. And now I have that. And there's some pretty, there's some pretty decent like uh, models of different like space specific overdrives. So you yeah. don't like lose that bottom end, you know, like that's like the biggest thing with biggest thing running thing. And like, I've learned how to run the signal for bass on there so that you're running like a parallel path. That's like, you know, exactly. Yeah. Kind of doing the, uh, what's his name from? Yes. The, uh, the yeah. Squire, like, yep. run, you know, I'm like run like, a uh, like literally the amp model that I use in this is like an orange guitar amp model. But then I send all the low ends to a different path so that I maintain just the low end. And then I could just like really crunch out the, yeah, you know, I'm all about Damn. that. I had a clon made that pushes more clean signal through so that I don't lose the low end even on guitar when I use a it. You know? yeah. A clon clone or a clon like a, some, you uh, had someone sorry. mod a clon. <laughs> it was a clon clone, a custom okay, yeah. clone, well, of you a, know not what? an OG clon. So. I'll tell you. So those, those clons, uh, but you know, you, uh, if you don't know, people don't know that listening to this, it is a very sought after guitar pedal that I feel people are just like paying exorbitant price. I mean, like, like yeah. three, four thousand dollars for one, which is yeah, like the OG maybe, ones, yeah. yeah, for the OG clans. Not only did the maker, who, the the guy who made him, he he's made a newer, a different version of it that's like essentially the same thing. There are people who build clones for like a hundred bucks you know that and you they people shoot them out and yeah if you're if your ear is that in tune to it you can you might be able to um say that that's one or the other but for the for the casual listener and someone who wants that design of pedal like you can get the the clone or i forget what the i forget what the other one is called when i worked for i did I did a very, I did like a one-off with, uh, with Sleater Kinney and Carrie, cool. Carrie has a clon on her, on her pedal. Well, it's on her pedal board, which she doesn't operate. It's operated through a MIDI thing, but she has a clon. And then Corin has one, has the other, the, uh, the new one. And granted they're, but they're playing out of two different kind of rigs, but they they sound, the, they sound, yeah. they do the same thing, you know? Yeah. And I don't know. It's like, I don't know that specifically for that, for Sleater Kinney, they need to have a clon. I don't, I don't, I don't know what the, the point why? of, I mean, she's made some money. So <laughs> having but a, why do they need MIDI effects for Sleater Kinney either? Like, well, no, it's just a, no, not even MIDI, just a but MIDI like switcher. A, yeah. Like a, like a loop, a basically like a loop switcher actually. Yeah. Like it was just like, so she can turn on, you know, she had a bunch of shit going on that was like, everything was set to stun, you know, it just yeah. makes it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't, I wasn't saying like, I didn't love the tones, <laughs> but they, I, I didn't love it. I didn't love the tones. Nice people, I, nice band. Yeah. Great. Like n- nice ladies. And it was, it was fine. Their, their auxiliary guitarist, um, Katie Harkin, she, she had a pretty decent setup. Nice, nice pedal board. Nice. You know, she got some good tones and whatever. Carrie's was just seemed a little like, really like it was like layering gains and you know like when you start layering it it kind of jumps all over the place it does and they, we were we were really chasing that down like the first like end rehearsal and i'm like i don't know i'm like i'm just i'm i'm filling in right now i'm t- this is like taking things out of a box and 
I'm plugging in. I am not touching a single thing yeah. until she gets here and she can tell you how she wants it to sound. Right. Like that's like fair. Yeah. Yeah. Respect would, to them for doing what yeah. they've done, but I don't think they're a band that anybody's paying attention to the tone of. <laughs> right. And that, that, and that was the thing too. I was like, man, I'm like, you know, during the rehearsals and like whatever she's, you know, walking over and adjusting things on her board. And I'm like, I don't know. Like you guys haven't played, you know, you ladies haven't played in uh, a while. Like this is like, like this is going to be a big deal just to be out playing thing. I don't think people are going to care whether or not your gains at noon or one, you know, like I yeah. don't think anybody's really, maybe if it makes you feel comfortable while you're playing, that's fine. But I also was just kind of like hands off with that. Just like, whatever you need me to do, I'll do it. And those are those one-off things that I'm kind of in the future going back into the, into the world of touring and whatever. I'm going to try to avoid doing that because Makes I sense. feel like I was hustling. I was hustling for too long for too many bands. Like I, you know, I could sit here and name 20 artists that I've worked one-offs for and 10 that I've had long-term or multiple tour relationships and whatever with like, you know, just, I don't, I don't want to go back to all of like filling in every gap with a one week thing. I'd, I'd rather really be with, um, be with people that I, I, I not grow with, but like, I don't know. Something like something like, okay. So like I started working for Bush. I worked for Chris trainer from Bush. Chris used to play an orange nine millimeter He's played in a bunch of bands and now he's playing in Bush has been in Bush for a long time and I've helped him like rebuild his rig. And, you know, I've, I've worked on all of his guitars, put pickups and all his guitars. And over time, like that became like my, that's like over the last year or so became like my gig that like, I enjoy doing that. I don't feel like it's a one-off anymore. Like the first time I did it, I felt like I was like, maybe I'm filling in and I'll be back. Maybe I won't, I'm not going to touch anything. Just leave it the way it is. But now I'm friendly with Chris and we, we work on gear and stuff and it's cool. Um, I'm not trying to chase that down anymore. Like yeah, 44, again, I'm 44 years old. I don't need to live that punk rock chasing, chasing the yeah. dragon life, you know, like your hustling is over. You've hustled long enough. I mean, there's hustle and everything, but that style of it is maybe yeah antiquated for me you know yeah for me when i say the hustle i just mean specifically that mode that we're in where we're trying to track down any job or work or project that we can yeah yeah for sure and unfortunately it took a global pandemic for me to slow down and i'm sure this is a common story i'm like you've been doing this this these talks but you know you go through that first the first month was panic where i was like i don't know what is going to happen to me or my career or my, this thing that I've done. And then I started trying to be like, okay, well I'm going to focus on other things that I do. Like I do a lot of photography and I do a lot of, um, you know, just to work, you know, work, working on guitars at home, uh, working on guitars literally was making me sad because it wasn't tour. (laughs) So I kind of stopped telling people like people would ask like, you know, someone could do this. I'd be like, have this guy or that guy do it. I don't want to do it. You know? Um, I was lucky enough that the artist that I were, I was working for did pay me a little bit of money for all the cancellations, which was fair and also very appreciated and welcomed for sure. Um, and that kind of let me float for a little while to really focus on doing 
a different type of art, like, or just trying to make music. Yeah. So like as soon as, as soon as it was okay, like we kind of figured out, okay, me and Ben and Warren, we were like, we can get together in a room and play music. We can start doing this. We didn't do it for a couple of months. And then eventually we're like, there's a safe way to do this. We're all tested. We've all been hiding out. We've been hermits. Let's, yeah. let's try this. And I'll tell you that just playing music, whether, I don't know how serious we were taking it because we knew what's the, you know, there's no end point to this. There's no, we're not practicing for anything. You know, we're just practicing. We're just playing because we like to play music between that and doing photos and like just shooting photos, walking around, whether it was an empty LA or going to the beach and we're just street shooting, whatever, like that kind of like kept my, helped me keep my sanity. And, you know, I, I would like to think that when this does come back because of the name, I mean, just because of the kind of money that I do make when I tour, I, and now I've kind of now (laughs) in my forties, I've learned how to budget it when it's not coming in, you know, just because of the last year. Cause like I would, you know, you know, the deal when the money's coming in, you're just like, I could buy a new guitar or whatever, you know, like I just, all this shit. And like, man, I was kind of being a little spendy when I had it. And now totally. I'm just like, well, I can live off of, go back to living off of the way I did when I was punk rock dude playing in bands and living in a van, you know? And yeah, but it's instead every couple months I have a major tour that's going to keep me going. And in that, that gap of time, grab my cameras and go out and shoot and, make my prints and whatever, you know, just like stuff like that. I don't, I don't want to spend that time off doing another two days with seal or with whoever, you know what I mean? Totally. Shit like that. Like stressful, man. Stress. It's stress. It's stress when you're, I bring up seal because seal that one stressed me out, even though I I will go back and do, I I am going to go back and do some stuff with them, but stressful, man. Like, like, to shift gears like that is hard. Yeah. It's hard. Because it's, it's not hard. like a band that you've set up all the gear for. You're just stepping in and just doing all this random just, shit. Yeah. Just like, it, well, you just, now you're dealing with some new person you've never met's quirks. You know, you're dealing with new, new people all the time. And like, I, I never really thought of that when I was just with like a motion city for three, four years that I straight, that I was with them. I only, I mean, I was only with them. So I only, knew their quirks and their, you know, and their weirdness, weirdnesses. So like, I'm just, I was used to that. And then I had time to just be in the mix and now doing one-offs and stuff. It's just so, sometimes I'm just like, it's not, it's almost like not worth it to me. You know, that's that's a weird thing to say as someone who does get offered work. Some like to be able to say no though, is also, a blessing in a weird way, right? Cause like it is such a blessing. And the other blessing is you finally taking a look at how you feel about stuff and making decisions to like make yourself happier. That's legit. Totally. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I'm stoked for you that you've been able to figure that stuff out more because it equals more happiness for ourselves, you know? And I dig that. And I, and I think to you, um, this, this has also given me just a, an appreciation for musicianship again. Like, I feel like I'm going to be more 
just because I've been creating on my own, when I go back out there now, I'm like, I have a little bit more sense of like, like I'm get, like the, my love for it is there again, where I, I'm not just working. I'm also listening again in a way because yeah. like when you, when you are going from, it's just like point A to point B for me, like, all right, there's a one-off with this band, whatever. I don't care about them. I couldn't tell you one of their songs. Like, I don't, it doesn't matter. Or sorry. Um, it could be like, I don't know. I, I think, I think there was a time too, not that, not that long ago, or maybe like when I, you know, like in the mid two thousands where I was just wor working, working, working so much that I didn't care about things that I should have appreciated more. Like, I'll tell you one thing and you were there for this cause and you, you know, um, so when we did Soundwave in 2000, nine or eight. What was it? Where 10 was it 10 when we did the one with, we did the sideshows and it was Jimmy Eat world, motion city, RX bandits, glass sunny jaw day. and sunny, sunny day. day. Yeah. So anybody who knows that here's that lineup, they're like, there's no fucking way that actually happened. And it did. <laughs> and it crazy. happened and it happened in very like, sm you know, smaller places besides the, the, the band's, actually playing on the big stage on at Soundwave where you're playing to thousands and thousands of people. Yeah. You know, we would do these, they call them the side waves where you would do like on days off, you'd go stay in the same city or go to a new city and play, your, um, you know, a small club. And we did Sydney at the roundhouse and, um, Melbourne, Melbourne at whatever that theater was. That's probably not there anymore. Um, and you know, you play for like 800 to a thousand people. And that is a, I mean, that is a, a, that is a stacked lineup. Like you, like people would see that and be like, wow, I would kill to be at that show. And let me tell you, tech work Diaz back then was like, not focused on that. Like not focused on like, I mean, I wish I could see, I wish I can go back and see all of that and it'll witness all of that happening. And like, I did have some level of appreciation for it. I have videos of all the bands playing that, you know, totally. like, but I was so disconnected and so, um, man, like weirdly like roadie aggro dude. And I'm going to bring something up that has probably, it's probably bothered me since man, since then. And I've always felt bad about it and always felt like weirdly like out of myself when I, when I talk about this and I don't know if you're, you're you may not even remember this. Uh, I remember it. Yeah. 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 I was, I was super pissed at you dudes. Cause like you were like taking forever to get off stage or whatever it was. And I was like, you guys have to like, fuck, you know, you guys have to like figure this out, whatever. Like we just can't be like whatever. Cause honestly, the other thing about it was that there was no stage manager or anything for that. Even though there was all these big bands, no one had any, there was like no one in charge. It was just like, right. whatever. It was a shit so show. I was kind of like, in like mentally, because I had done that for motion city for so long, I was just like, Oh, I, I need to like take care like run the show somehow, you know? And I was like super pissed. And I remember you, you telling me like, dude, we don't have anybody here helping us, man. This is like, we're not used to let's like humping our own gear around. And I was like, it caught me off guard and was like, I was like, man, I forgot in that time. This is 2010. And the last time I had really seen you guys play was in like the early two thousands. Like the last time we were like around each other like that. Yeah. And I was like, 
God, in that time, they've had like an entire career where they've had people helping them along the way and like doing shit for them. I'm like, fuck. I'm like, I just want to apologize for being like being that guy then. And I know, I mean, this is like, you know, 12 years, 11 years on. But like, I think about that sometimes. I'm like, like, just not a not a good moment where I'm like yelling at people who I was like friends with and whatever. And I feel like that kind of like. I'm like, why am I doing this? Like, why am I being that guy? Like, this is, this should be like, I should be enjoying this show, which is even then you can look at it as legendary. And now you look back and you're like, it's one of those shows like, yep, I was there for that. You know? Yeah. Um, You really don't need to apologize because I'm glad you brought it up because I want to say my piece about that too, which is I totally understand your frustration from that perspective. Actually, I totally get it. Uh, Right. And looking back on it, it's easy to see how, we were coming off as, well, we don't want to take our own gear. Um, and that would be frustrating in your position because you guys had to get on next and you had all this shit to do. Right. So totally right. get that. Just for specifics, though, there was stagehands that were somehow there before the show. And as they were loading us on, I said, oh. hey, I got to get all my guitars and stuff off. Can you get my keyboard off? And one of the dudes was like, yeah, mate, gotcha. <laughs> right? <laughs> Nowhere to be found. <laughs> Nowhere to be found when we got off stage. You know, yeah. so by the time I was backstage, because we were all in that upstairs room. Oh, yeah. All of there was us. That, like that round room, whatever. Exactly. Yeah. It was like a fucking classroom or something because it was at the University mm-hmm. of Sydney that we played. Yeah. And at I, the had roundhouse. No, yeah. I had no clue that our shit got left on stage. I absolutely had no idea. I was still so jet lagged and underslept. I was totally out of my oh, mind. Oh, yeah. We're like, I'm like so, not factoring in all that stuff, too. That like, yeah. yeah, we were like just shredded from travel yeah. and whatever. My, and our bass player gave me a muscle relaxer that was a quadruple dose that he didn't <laughs> tell me was you're supposed to break into quarters. So I ate the whole oh, thing the man. day before and the whole day before off, I was oh, I sleeping that, all day and I was that just pill hangover. <laughs> yeah. Total pill hangover. I had no idea what was going on. So, uh, I don't even look back on that as you having done something. I just viewed it as that was the circumstance and that was the way it shook out. At that yeah. Time. And, and it was, it was that thing. Like sometimes like, like as it, after it happened and I was like, talk to the motion city dudes. I'm like, man, I didn't, I was like, I feel bad because I don't want to like come down on like these dudes. I've known them for over a decade at this point. Like there's no, I like, I didn't have, I didn't have to be like that guy, but I'm like, if I'm not that guy, who is that guy? And then I realized I'm like, yeah, sometimes you just don't have to have that guy there, you know, like there's, that wasn't that kind of, it wasn't that kind of show where we needed that. And I don't think it was that, you know, obviously like you can look at it a decade on and be like, yeah, it wasn't that big of a deal. But at the time I felt like super, I was like, man, it was my first kind of time where I was like, I don't ever want to, I don't want to stage manage anymore. I don't want to be in charge of that anymore. Yeah. Cause I don't like getting in people's faces. I don't like, removing the enjoyment to me that sort of work removes the enjoyment of the music out of it as a tech as a tech that just has um like you know not saying minimal responsibilities different responsibilities where i'm more more closely connected to the music i'm not saying i'm a musician in in a band or anything but like i have a, a closer relationship with the musicians than i do with the dudes hanging the lights um that helps me appreciate it more. And I can come, I can come at that with a more sympathetic view or more sympathetic yeah. viewpoint. And I wasn't doing that when I was being all aggro, trying just yelling at people to get off stage. Cause that's what I thought you had to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's I, totally I look, understandable, I, but I, th- I look back at that as like, 
not only was it like that legendary show, but it was also, that was a learning experience for me as far as, um, that kind of, you know, that kind of roadie work, I guess, like stage managing and totally whatever. I just wasn't, it just wasn't something that I, I didn't know how to handle myself properly in that. And I, you know, like, and I, I know it's like you say, no apologies needed, but I still feel that like kind of, it's like, man, I yelled at Steve Choi, man, that was fucked up. I don't know why I was yelling <laughs> at this dude. And he was so like, I like kind of, I've probably caught you off guard. Cause you were just kind of like, Whoa, dude, like, I don't know what you're talking about, but like, we're just like not used to doing that at that. However you, you know, however you phrase it. And I was like, yeah, 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 I'm just fucking. And like at the same, it was also like, uh, I think, I think part of it too is like in the back of my head. I remember being on the plane, we were flying somewhere and I'm sitting next to you. I'm sitting on, on the aisle seat. I'm sitting next to Justin Beck from Glassjaw. Yeah. And, and Matt is sitting next to him. On the Cause plane. we all flew together. Our travel yeah, groups, we, we always travel the, together. Yeah. yeah. We'd always, we'd always be on the same thing. So I, uh, they're sitting next to me and I hear them talking and, um, <laughs> Beck is telling Matt, he's like, Oh, you gotta, he's like, you gotta put, you gotta put Sprizel tuners on your guitar. He's like, so easy. All you do is he's like, <laughs> Or maybe it was the other way around. One one of the one of the two dudes were they were they were like he's like you gotta do he's like you don't even need a tech then and I'm sitting I'm like yo I'm right here dude like he's like you can just do it all yourself you don't even need anybody to help you save save money on a tech and I don't know if they were like purposely winding me up because I was sitting right there or whatever but like it's that thing where you're just flying constantly and I'm already in like fucking high alert mode I'm just like yo what like why are you guys saying that that? Beck. I know that that was Beck because RX did a run of shows as Glassjaw in the U.S. And at that time, Beck and Manny were both flying around with just their Line 6 pods, no Mm -hmm. amp, and just going direct. And we just kept giving them shit, especially us being an RX. We were just like, yo, what? Like Line 6 direct into PAs? We were just like, bro, that is not cutting it. Like your music, these riffs, you can't play worship and tribute songs like this and blah, blah, blah. And like, we just gave him such a hard time. And at that time, Beck was just trying to sell us on, yeah, but it's so efficient. You don't need to rent amps. You don't need to pay for extra baggage or flying. You oh, just yeah. fly with this. And then the Spurzel tuners, do it all ourselves. Oh my God. Bless you. Thank you. Um, so yeah, I remember like that might've been on the way to that show too. So I already had this in mind. I'm like, got my like one eye to like, I'm going to keep my eye on these guys. Like they're trying to cut dudes like me out. Like what's up with that? And uh, so I'm just like, you know, I'm already suspicious. And then that happens. Bro. I'm like, yo, fuck all of this, man. Why are these, why are these guys, you guys, you guys techs, high level techs. Like you are like the nurses of the music industry. Your job is not going anywhere. No, I, I, and I, you know what I know because I know that, for yes, for certain artists it will, but like I feel like when the when the comeback happens here, like that's you know when the when it opens wide up, there's gonna be a lot of like mid you know mid level bands and you know lower you know baby bands that you know have to go back to like not having crew, and it's so weird because there was at some point I did I did a one off with a uh, one off like a, a short tour with um, a band I'm not gonna mention and. Uh, the opener who I'm not going to mention, but the open, <laughs> the opener band on this tour, the, there it was, the, there were two of four. I was with the headliner. 
this band was playing two of four in a van and trailer doing meet and greets in their trailer, paid meet and greets. And they had two tour managers and they had two techs. Yo, you're in a van already with four people. Now you've got eight people. You're at ska levels here. And you, <laughs> you guys are playing two of four. Like what is going on, dude? And they're doing them. And I'm, I'm like, man, the time is going to come. They had like playback. They had, every, you know, they had the everything. And in the in-ears playback, I'm like, yo, whatever happened to like learning to do this on good old fashioned wedges, you know? Yeah. I don't know if RX yeah. is, you know, I don't know if you guys do your, you on in-ears or yeah, yeah, you got it. Once you do it, it's impossible to go back. I'm like, I'm using mine right now for this. Like, yeah, I just, yeah, I'm, it's impossible to hear things any other way, you know? Well, especially with all the greedy music that we play with all the vocals and all oh, the yeah, instruments. Yeah, yeah. It's like, as soon as we went to in-ears, we we're like, we're stupid for not doing this before sooner. I mean, and <laughs> you, you guys, I mean, I know, yeah, you're on ears and whatever, but you're using, are you using clicks and stuff or no, no clicks. And no, no, any, no, not at all. No playbacks of any kind, nope. nothing. All. Nope. Yeah. Any, still, any or, samples still organic, are triggered by us. Still yeah, organic. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's just literally for monitoring because we specifically it's the crux of having three part harmony vocals right. with two loud guitars and sure. loud drums. Yeah, yeah you so. got to have I mean, once you get once you have the ears and you're you get the molds the first time, even even the shitty ones like the old UEs I got back in the day still blow yeah. away any headphones that I have. Yeah, I hate that I like these so much. I have these of these Roxanne's now and I hate uh -huh. that I, I love them so much because I I would love to like when I'm recording and I'm trying to do it quietly, like not through my monitors or whatever, but I, I want to wear these, but I, I just end up with the cans. I'll, I'll have these like, yeah, you know, these HD two eighties, whatever. And the cans are, are, are fine. But I was like, for this, I can't, I want to be, I want to have it right in my ear. I don't know yeah. what it is. Like having that makes me feel like I can, I can uh, pay attention to it a little more or something. I don't know. It's a great way to save your hearing too, to be honest. Oh yeah. It's, I can turn it's, it's it, turn it really, down, dude. If it's yeah. too loud. Turn it down. You know, yeah. it, it's a great way to like not go deaf too soon. Yo, It's crazy though. Like, so some artists I know will listen to, they all have in-ears and listen to them. I mean, on stun, like the pack oh, I know. is. Yeah. Dude. Sh okay. Yeah. So garbage. I did, I did a, a year with garbage. Dude, Shirley Manson listens to her in-ear pack. I don't know how. It is all the way up. No way. Are you all, kidding me? As as loud as it will go. With ears. Oh, my God. Past I don't know five, how she does it. Past 12 o'clock is already hurting my ears, dude. I can't. I, I go just a little past 12 just for the clarity of like, well, when I'm, when I'm checking, I want to make sure that you get a little past 12, you really get that tone. And yeah, then I, if true. you go dial it back, you kind of get and this is I'm sure this is fascinating for people who don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> well, but this you go is that, the like, musicians guild. Yeah, so go. Exactly. They know you should have ears. Get in ears. J.H. Audio, U.E., whatever you got to get. <laughs> no, um, this is not sponsored. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but if you want to <laughs> uh, anyway, no, like that little bit, Pat, like before 12 is good enough for playing where I'm like, I'm not worried about. But hearing yep. that tone, like hearing, especially like hearing a bass tone, like I have to like precisely turn it up a little bit to get that little attack. But she had she would have it set to stun, and like I would have to listen to her mix every so often, which was already just a ton of vocals and a ton of um, drums. She said drums and vocals, 
and a little bit of guitar kind of like washed out. It was so washed out. Um, but because she played guitar in a few songs, I would have to listen to her mix to make sure she was hearing what she needed to hear, switch uh-huh. back and forth. And I would sometimes forget how, even just how loud the signal going just to her pack was already. Like the mix was already at 12 was super loud. And I would try to get it, try to turn it up just to hear what she was hearing. I was like, I don't know how she does this. The click. Oh my God. The click was like, uh, uh <laughs> like someone hammering at my head. It was so yeah. loud. I was like, Shirley, I don't know how you do this. I don't know how you're listening to this. This is crazy. But I think yeah, it's something it's she said when she sings and she's, she's singing so loud. It's almost like, so her husband, Billy is, um, tours, tours with them as well. And he does all the programming. He's like Ableton oh, okay. pro tools uh-huh. wizard. He's a producer. He's, you know, in studio with them. He produces their records. He, um, programs. He, he actually texts a little bit to you. Um, Great dude. One of one of like my favorite people. Billy Bush is his name. The good Billy Bush, not the weirdo that got fired from NBC. <laughs> uh, yeah. Billy told me that when she sings, something happens with her her ear canals where they kind of almost like pinch so that she's getting less sound or something. I don't know. He explained it to me once and I was like, OK, that makes sense. But damn, it's loud. And I, I I've never understood people who listen to their packs that loud. It is yeah. bonkers. Some people listen to them too low. And I'm like, how are you even hearing anything? Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. what are you, what are you hearing? I guess you just feeling it, you know, like, I don't know. Or maybe they have like, they have it lower just cause they have so many of the stage ambient mics in their mix yeah, or something th- like that. Yeah. Some people have that too. Like I generally, I'm running a tech mix and then uh, I can, I'm able, I have a, usually my pack, I can switch to. I always ask to see him like I can have a switchable one so I can have my mix that I so I can hear what's going on and then right a mix of whoever I'm working for. So if I have, you know, the guitarist of some band or the bass player, like I had my pack for like for GNR, I can listen to Duff's mix like, so I can hear what he's hearing or I can listen to my tech mix. And like it's sometimes surprising what people don't listen to. It's right. more it's, that, that's it? What it is. Yeah. it's more surprising. Like, wow, you're playing this show without any bass in your ears at all. That is crazy. Yeah. I take offense to that. I, as a bassist, I take, (laughs) I is highly offensive to me. Why are you not listening to the bass? I've worked hard on this tone. (laughs) Do you, do you have a talk back mic for your artists too? For you? Yes. You just Uh, be like, dude, your, your mix is fucked tonight. For, for, so for Pete, uh, it's so there are actually for follow up. It's it's routed really crazy. Like all the talk backs is like a whole, it it might as well get its own separate like board because we're just like, (laughs) Everybody can talk directly to their guy without with they can talk to their artist without anybody hearing it. Uh-huh. I can talk to Pete. I can talk directly to the monitors and I can talk directly to where I can switch it so that everyone in the crew hears it. So generally it's not like that. Like generally it's like a crew talk back between the crew, but I have to be able to communicate with Pete sometimes cause he sort of calls the shots on stage. Uh-huh. And if the, he's like, you know, sometimes I can look at him and be like, for whatever reason, we're like, All right, Hey, we're, we're 15 minutes from curfew. You need to wrap it up. You need to keep it short, whatever. And he'll go over to his talk back on stage and he'll be like, should we cut something? We'll talk about it for a second. And then I'll inform everybody else. Cause that chatter, no one wants to hear that while they're playing. Makes and sense. no, nobody wants to hear that 
the other crew doesn't want to hear that talking over because they're trying to listen to their people to talk to yeah. them because it might be in between a song. Everyone might go to their talkback mics and talk to their techs. Yeah. And Pete's talkback doesn't go to any of the band unless I tell our monitor engineer to open it up so he can talk to everyone. It's cool. Cause system. like he might, he might have something and his talkback also goes to security. So if okay. he sees something from stage in the crowd, he sees like, Hey, someone looks like they're passing out or this dude looks like he's doing something weird. Go look at him. Our security guy who uh, Rennell has, he wears, um, he wears any, the show in here so he can hear Pete's, he has Pete's mix. So he can hear that. I know it's a little inside baseball, but that's kind of, I mean, I love that. It's a good system. I mean, it's, it's crazy when I go work for another band that doesn't have that. I'm like, what, I can't talk directly to my guy? Like, how do, how do I tell him what to do? How do I tell him his shoes are untied? You know, like, because, like, that became a thing. We called, me and Pete called it the joke mic because, like, a lot of times it's just, like, in between songs. Like, I, it, you know, over the course of a tour, we'll develop some sort of, like, weird little in-joke. Yeah. And, like, the, it's like, oh, the song's coming up. And it's, like, right before it, I'll say, like, blah, 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 whatever, like, in his ears. And, like, he'll just turn around and laugh. He'll, he'll, he'll come to me and, like, we'll have, like, a little thing going and he'll, like, talk directly to me. That's why it ended up being like, Hey, we need just like a clear channel between the two of us. And if I need to open it up, I'll talk to everyone else and then talk to monitors or whatever. But generally it's just me and him back and forth. That's, Normally it's just jokes, <laughs> but it's nice. It's that. like, That's, it's funny because you think like everyone's up there just so like laser focused on their, on their yeah, thing. Yeah. It's like, I don't know. We're 25 shows into this tour. Uh, they're about to play a song. They've played a bazillion times in their, career like it's fine we can we can joke a little it makes sense man i love hearing about that kind of stuff and honestly i've really enjoyed this conversation man thank you so much for yeah taking the time to talk and i hope uh like i say to so many guests i hope i can have you on again someday man because yeah we still there's like 10 different <laughs> questions that I didn't even get to ask you. I know. Yet. I, I feel like I talk too much so, sometimes, man. I feel like I talk no, you over don't. people and no, 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 right. you're good. This is thanks, the, thanks for the reassurance, this, man. <laughs> this is the place for that. They're not, we're not here to just listen to me talk. We're here to listen to you talk. You know what I mean? Yes, Specifically. Sure. So, uh, again, this has been fucking awesome. So thank you again for taking cool, man. the time. Thank bro. you. Thank you for sure. Much love. Much love to you. Thanks, Steve. This is Aaron from No Simple Road. I'm inviting you to come hang out with Apple, Mel, and I as we talk with the musicians, artists, chefs, authors, and beyond from the world that turns us on. We're reaching into the improvisational music scene, the psychedelic culture, the festival world, and getting to know what makes the people tick that create those scenes. Come join us on the long, strange trip over at No Simple Road.